This is a time of transformation. As old ways fall, men are called to rise, to heal our lives, grow strong, and transcend our limitations. In tribes around the world, drawing on the best of masculinity from all of time, a new day is beginning. This is the Renaissance of men. You are the Renaissance. Since I've been in this position over the last year, I've alluded to the highs and lows that I experienced as a cadet, and I expressed that I desperately want to help y'all avoid making the same mistakes that I have. I've stated that I want to be a resource for y'all because I didn't have one when I was experiencing rough times. I've offered myself up to you, but I can't realistically expect you to take me up on it when you still don't know much about me on a personal level. Hopefully this can clear some of that up. Matthew McConaughey wrote a book called Green Lights, in which he talks about his life experiences and how he got to where he is. He says that a green light is an affirmation which sets you up for success, that a green light could be something as simple as putting your coffee in the coffee filter before you go to bed so that all you have to do in the morning is push the button. He details how green lights signal to him throughout his life that it was time to push harder or drive on, that sometimes green lights come from decisions that we make, and sometimes we happen upon them. If I had to write my own story, it would be called something different than green lights, something like bubbles. Now, I'm not talking about the kind of bubbles that you blow from soapy water as a kid, but the kind that you knowingly or unknowingly get trapped inside and hopefully break out of over the course of your life. These are bubbles of love and bubbles of lust, bubbles of hate and bubbles of sadness, bubbles of anger, bubbles of joy, bubbles of any and everything that you could imagine. Some of you already know what I'm talking about. Some don't. If you don't, I'm hoping that by the end of this, you'll understand. The goal of this talk is not to establish that I'm a victim or to beg for your sympathy. None of that could be further from the truth. I'm sharing these things with you to prove that you can overcome your obstacles and that you are worthy of accomplishing your goals. If I've already reached the end of your attention span, then let me leave you with this, my bottom line. Self-awareness will make or break you. If you aren't conscious of how your thoughts and actions are shaping your trajectory in life, you'll never even be able to recognize that you're in a bubble, let alone break out of it. For those of you that I haven't lost yet, I plan to share some of my experiences and lessons in the hope that they'll help you avoid the same pitfalls that caught me. Hello, my name is Will Spencer, and you're listening to the Renaissance of Men podcast. What does it mean to care about people? We often hear that phrase, but we never break it down. Is care a feeling? Yes, of course, but is that all it is? I'm sure we can think of experiences where someone said they cared about us, and that was about it. So that means that care must be more than words or feelings, but actions. What kind of actions? Let's think it through. When I care about someone, I want what's best for them, which I grant them the freedom to determine for themselves. It's not caring to do their tasks or accomplish things for them, though. Part of the reason we choose the goals we do is because we intuitively know the journey of achieving that goal means at least as much as the destination. I don't want to deprive someone of that journey, because that wouldn't be what's best for them. 
Okay, so I can't do the work for someone I care about. How can I help and show them that I care? If I had a choice, would I make their job easier or them better? In the most meaningful of circumstances, I think we know the answer. Many of us act that way, but few of us state it as a value and believe it. Fewer of us live it. Which is why it was such a pleasure to meet my guest this week, Rain Man from the 263 Collective. He and I met several weeks ago, when at the urging of our mutual friend KJ, I spontaneously jumped on Rain Man's Instagram live stream. A 10-minute conversation turned into a full hour. Then we added another 60 minutes, unexpectedly for both of us. He asked me good questions, made great observations, and gave me space to discuss things I'd never talked about openly before. You can find a clip of that on my Instagram profile. But I found myself wondering, who is this mysterious man behind the scenes? So we hopped in the DMs and scheduled this podcast. In our conversation, we discussed Rain Man's background in the ROTC and the extreme lengths he goes to to make sure that his kiddos, or cadets, succeed. The value of mentorship, both giving and receiving. The origins and intentions of the 263 Collective podcast and Instagram account and the growing community around it. The reasons behind the mystery of the meaning of 263 and what it means to you versus what it means to Rain Man, the founder. And finally, Rain Man shared how a concussion in a wrestling match led to one of the most important moments of his life, in the arena. As you'll hear, my guest today is a man of principle, community, integrity, and most importantly, he's a man for others. Which means he's the sort of man I'm proud to know, because he's also the sort of man this world and this moment needs. I believe we all have something to learn from his example. A quick note about the audio. In some segments, it sounds like when I'm talking, I'm jingling a pile of change. I don't know what caused it, and I can't get rid of it. So as you listen, just know that no, I'm not saving my pennies. And thankfully, as is usually the case, my guest does most of the talking. So it gives me great pleasure to introduce this week's guest on the Renaissance of Men podcast from the 263 Collective, Rain Man. Rain Man, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today. Well, it's um, it's cool. It's a very cool opportunity. You know, I've been on the the other side of the table, if you will, um, for the last few months. Um, so I'm interested to see how this goes. Like we were just discussing, like I've not really talked about or even thought about uh, myself <laughs> at length very often. Um, so. I have a feeling that this will be this will be productive. Not just uh, I think it'll be productive for me more than anyone, to be quite honest. That's really I'm great. excited. Oh, that's that's really great. I mean, that's I actually really enjoy that. I enjoy talking to to podcast hosts and and uh, to creators who don't really get the chance to think about themselves very much because I'm genuinely interested. And so uh, you know, I, I find that the opportunity because I've been on a couple podcasts myself and had people ask me questions like, Oh, wow, it's actually really interesting to think about that. So I enjoy creating that opportunity for people who've never really had it before. Yeah, I'm excited. So you, you went over your life story in, uh, in your podcast bubbles. And I don't want you to go over that again, because that was one of the most outstanding podcasts I've ever listened to for many reasons. And uh, I'll link it in the show notes because what really stood out to me was, was how willing you were to talk about the formative events in your life. So, uh, you know, as, as much as I'd like to have you go over them again, I really just want to send people first to your podcast to hear it for themselves. And I think they'll get it, but I would like you to give a little overview about sort of who you are and what you do 
and a bit of your background, and then we can get into some of the specifics uh, in that podcast. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay. So I'm Rain Man. Uh, I am the the voice, I guess you could say, of the 263 Collective. I am 25 as of last Thursday. So happy birthday. Still very much. Thank you. Um, still very much uh, figuring things out and having, I think, a lot of like normal 25 year old conundrums, mm-hmm. you know, but I think I'm a person that really cares about other people. Um, you know, ask about <laughs> who I am and, and what I do. Um, if I had to sum it up, I, I would say that I endeavor to like live my life in service of others. And sometimes that's a very specific group of people. Like when I'm at work, um, you know, there's 150 something cadets at the university that I'm an ROTC instructor at. Mm. And they are like, they are my main focus. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's, I I, I find it to be evident if you just look at the page or you look at the pace of uh, podcasts, you know, the content that I've been putting out you can see where, you know, this semester has started uh, and where things have kind of tapered off because I've dedicated my energy, you know, chosen to prioritize them or where it ramped up, say, you know, through the, uh, from the end of last November, kind of through the start of January because they were at home and work was relaxed. So, you know, um, I try to prioritize as much as I can, but it's all, it's all other people for me. Um, I've never, I never taken as much pleasure uh, or joy from anything as much as I have from like seeing people win and knowing that, especially knowing that I had a hand in that, but even just if I had nothing to do with it, just seeing somebody win, it, it makes me feel good. You know, I'm, I'm a sucker for the, the movies or the TV shows where you like, you see the hero after all their, their bullshit that they've endured, um, you know, they get the win and like, it means a lot to them. And that like, it gets me. I don't know. I just really like seeing other people, um, succeed. I like trying to play a part in that. Um, and I, I've, I just think that's, that's the way that I'm supposed to live. That's fantastic. I mean, isn't that how we should all live as men? Because you describe those values. And I posted on Instagram, I think it was last week, we all go up together. And I say that over and over and over again, uh, particularly about the, the renaissance of men and, and all the men that are coming together right now and, and sort of waking up as men. And I say that because I want us all to be celebrating each other's wins. You know, we're in a big community of hundreds, if not thousands of men that are creating content like yourself or, or growing and changing and transforming their bodies or transforming their families or their careers. And it's really easy for people to get hyper competitive these days. And I have a competitive side as well, but the recognition that when it comes to transformation, growth and improvement, there's more than enough to go around. It's really, it's really abundance and someone else's success. It fuels mine. Right. And that sounds like I love hearing that. Yeah. And I I think I've been fortunate to be, um, I've certainly learned this from, from being in the military. Um, but I I've been fortunate to be a part of some really good teams. 
and and when you're part of a really good team, right, it becomes evident that if you subordinate yourself and and you act in service of or in support of others, they're able to do the same for you, right? Now, the same amount of work is still happening, right? So we could all just carry our own weight and all be successful individually. And the outcome would still be the same if you just want to look at like raw data points. Uh, maybe it's whatever it is, right? Uh, the quantitative results would still be the same. But if we look at the qualitative side of it, uh, what are we missing out on if we all do our own work? Mm-hmm. Is it not better for me to take some of yours and for you to take some of mine? Because uh, personally, I know I'm more motivated to, let's say, carry the weight if I know that someone else doesn't have to, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and that that goes around. It's contagious. So I think that is like, that's a major key to like getting that that next level uh, performance out of a team or, um, you know, connection in a relationship, whatever it is. Like, you have to find people that are willing to subordinate themselves for others. Um, and, and, and I think you can only figure that out through experience. I think until you actually have that, like, you have no way of knowing. But once you, once you understand it, like, you, I don't think you can go, you know, do anything else. I don't think you can live any other way. Have you, well, you haven't, you haven't always been that way, or have you always been that way? Or when did you learn how to be that way? Uh, when not being that way resulted in me causing other people to fail. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so that wasn't really, well, I guess I started learning those lessons, uh, as, as a teenager, uh, when I was probably 12 or 13 years old, my mom made me read, uh, it's not about the bike, which is Lance Armstrong's autobiography. Mm-hmm. Uh, and after, after I read that, I was like, man, this is pretty cool. Uh, I want to ride a bike. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, we found a neighbor, you know, uh, you know, a mile down the street that had this old, uh, is a giant is the brand, uh, old steel road bike is too big for me. It had this, uh, sick red base with a flame paint job going down it. Um, and it was about as old as I was. So we bought it for a hundred bucks and I, I, you know, I started riding it and I was wobbly and then eventually I I got it down and I would go ride on this bike path for like three hours a day. Uh, during the summer, I would take no food and no water with me because I didn't know any better. And I would just go crush it as hard as I could, uh, (laughs) and then get home and eat everything in the house. Uh, and eventually that developed into me wanting to, to elevate that game. Uh, and so cycling at higher levels, especially on the roadside or at any real level is, is a team sport that requires a bunch of really high performing individuals. Um, so when I got around my first team, I, I recognized pretty quickly that while I did have strengths, they were not adequate for me to have like the, the glorious wins that I imagined. Mm. Um, and so the best thing that I could do with them at that point was help a teammate who with a little bit of a push was capable of doing better things. Right. So I was surrounded by people who also couldn't get the results on their own, but 
if I like what because what did I have to lose? Some back of the pack finish. Like, no, if I'm going to if I'm going to blow it uh, regardless, let me blow it for somebody else. And then maybe they do better because of it. I never thought about that until <laughs> until right now. But I guess that would be the earliest time where that kind of started to to make sense. And then I actually grew to like it. Uh, the, to the, like doing that. The team aspect of it or, or self-sacrificing so your team does well. Yes. Mm-hmm. And even if, even if, like, say I would be, cycling uh, can be like, like racing cars, you know, uh, you have somebody, the, the very first person, right, in the big group, they're the one breaking the wind. Um, when you come down to the end of a race and if the group is together, you're sprinting for the line, uh, you have something called the lead out. Mm-hmm. where you have your your actual competitive person who you're trying to set up for the win and then you have in front of them someone who is going to pull them into a an advantageous position and when mm-hmm. the time is right they're going to you know uh blow off the front of the pack hopefully with your your victor in tow right uh like the shake and bake Ricky Bobby right <laughs> uh <laughs> I can't remember his name now, but not Will Ferrell. Oh, I can't remember his name. I know who you're talking about. Okay. That was me. That was you. So, (laughs) (laughs) and and I was, you know, that was cool because I got to put the rest of the group in the box. And then maybe I set my teammate up for victory. Mm -hmm. Even if he didn't win, I still knew that I did the most that I was capable of with what I had. I used it in the, the best way possible because I could have used the same amount of energy and gotten like an insignificant mid pack finish. Mm-hmm. Right. But for somebody else to maybe succeed, that's better. I don't care about my result. That, that just, that, that made sense to me. That's actually, I mean, I, I don't know too many people who say things like that. You know, I think we, we generally tend to live in an era where it's, you know, very self-directed, very, very, very isolating, but very achievement oriented, very alpha male, top of the pack. But to actually hear someone say, you know, I actually don't mind being in the position of setting someone up to succeed, even if it means I don't get to be on the podium. I mean, that's really, I mean, what a beautiful feeling. Are you a father? No, <laughs> well, I can't. I, the way that I, I like to put that is uh, I'm not in a rush to have kids, but I can't mm-hmm. wait to have kids. Sure. Yeah, of course. Of course. <laughs> I mean, but that's like, that's like big father energy. You know what I mean? Like this, this idea that like, yeah, no, I'll take a, I'll take a step back if it means, you know, for my son or, you know, it shows up in, in multiple ways. Right. But that's just my association. I'll take a step back for my son. If it means, you know, he can succeed the self-sacrificing for the greater good kind of quality. I mean, that, I mean, that's an incredibly rewarding, rewarding way to look at life. It is, you know, I think that it started, interestingly enough, that started not, uh, at least on the bike, it, it wasn't initially like, I okay. want to see you win. Uh, I think it started as me justifying why I was going to get dropped towards the end of the race. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I knew if I was going to get dropped regardless, I should at least, you know, hurt everyone else in the process and maybe help somebody, you know, help my teammates succeed. But eventually, as I built up some, some fitness and some, some savvy and capability, 
that turned into, okay, I can actually make a difference now instead of just being the idiot teenager that's going to go ratchet the pace up on everybody uh, and then fall off the back, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, But what it evolved into, I think, is what's relevant. And I'm I'm certainly grateful that it did. Yeah, that's I mean, it makes sense that you would be in this position of, of now of setting these ROTC candidates up to succeed. And that's that's your job. Is it your job is effectively, as I as I understand it, to make sure that they make it through the program? Like, or are you actually trying to wash them out like a buds instructor? <laughs> uh, no. So I instruct uh, sophomores. We're in a classroom setting. Um, okay. So they they come to class. Like today, we were talking about um, a specific component of the operations order. The operations order is like the standard format that we uh, use to plan and then brief operations. Mm -hmm. Um, So they're in the very beginning stages of learning that um, right now. And that's just an example from today. Uh, But as sophomores, they are learning, you know, fundamental tactics, um, basic stuff about the army, basic stuff about leadership. Uh, And, and my, my boss and I, we're trying pretty hard to make it, make it good for them. Um, there's like a canned, of course, there's a canned, um, you know, set of slides for every class and a lesson plan and student handouts and all the work is done for you. And all you would have to do is go in there, uh, and, and pull the slides up and follow the lesson plan and give them the handout. You know, it's all there. Almost every class we completely scrap it and build it ourselves. Mm-hmm. We, we stay true to the spirit or the desired end state that, you know, the higher uh, leaders want us to meet, but we go about it in an entirely different manner most of the time because we feel that they deserve better than a canned mm-hmm. class. They came to where they're at to be challenged and to be better. And the worst thing that we can do for them is, is fail to give them what they came here for, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so that, that also means extra time, right? It's not just in the classroom for them. I do try to give them opportunities to, to push themselves outside of class. So on Tuesday mornings, we'll do like, uh, like we'll call it, I'm saying combat in air quotes, <laughs> listeners, uh, combat pic- PT where picture it in your mind. <laughs> instead it's just a black box with fingers making air quotes <laughs> <That's right>. uh, <laughs> um, where instead of doing you know our, our workout in you know the normal shirts uh, shorts and t-shirt you know physical training uniform we show up in in uniform so in in boots and and camo um and then we'll do stuff like like fill up a bunch of water cans you know a standard water can that we have is five gallons. It's about 40 pounds when it's full and it's got this handle on it. And it turns out that that's a really uncomfortable thing to carry around for a long time. Or we'll load up uh, a litter, you know, stretcher with three or four of those. And then we'll make it a team thing where we're going to walk around carrying a bunch of heavy litters and water cans for three to four miles. And the only way that we're going to succeed is if, you know, we're strategic about it. So if we put people that are, most physically similar, you know, height wise and capability wise on a given litter. Uh, if we take the time to make sure we're, you know, we're switching out and we're being intelligent about how we're using our energy. Um, so I'll go do that stuff with them on Tuesday mornings. Uh, and it's all voluntary. 
like this extra training that I'm talking about now. It's just for the the ones that want to show up. So usually a good day is like 10 of them come mm-hmm. out. Um, and, you know, you might hear that and think, oh, well, why are you only doing, I don't think you, you think this, right? But some people might say, oh, you're only doing this for 10 people. I'm like, who cares? I care. Uh, and mm-hmm. if, if I help one person, then I have succeeded, right? Mm-hmm. So I know that if, if there's 10 who showed up and they want to put out and they want to be pushed, but they don't know how necessarily to push themselves, I owe it to them to help. So then Thursday morning, we do rucks. Um, you know, uh, they don't normally have like, they don't normally have a rucksack as a sophomore. They don't normally get one until they're a junior, but wasn't that hard to get them for them. I just talked to the right people. And then those of them that wanted them came and got them. So we've been building them up over the course of this semester. Um, started out with four miles at a you know pretty slow pace. And now we've got them up to six at a faster pace. They'll be doing 12 before the end of the semester. And again, that's all voluntary. You know, those are days where I'm not due into work until nine. And I'm usually there at about 530 to be setting up <laughs> oh, wow. uh, that stuff. So, you know, they have physical training regularly Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and I get to work at about uh, 6.15 for that because it starts at 6.30. But then, yeah, Tuesday, Thursdays, uh, we start that stuff no later than 6.30, and I usually uh, am up there by 5.30, 5.45. So I regularly wake up 4.30 to 4.45 in order to make sure that I am giving them everything that they they showed up for. Um, I think that's ultimately driven by the the fact that I am an alumni of this program, mm-hmm. a pretty recent alumni. Um, and when I was there, I wanted to be pushed. I wanted to be challenged. That's why I showed up, among other things. Uh, and I wish that I had had a me. Mm. You know, I mm. wanted someone to care. I wanted someone to put time in to give me opportunities. I wanted the opportunity to turn down an opportunity, mm-hmm. but I never had one to turn down. <laughs> you know, no one, no one was there. Um, at least no one that should have been. No one was there putting their time in trying to make us the best that we could be. So when I, I, I fought to get into this position and I got here, I, I can't bring myself to do anything less than everything that they're owed everything that I wish I would have had when I was, when I was in their shoes. And that, that's kind of where bubbles happened. Uh, or that's, that's why it came about because I don't just try to be there to push them. Um, I want to, I want to support them as well. Right. And that's a difficult balance to strike because like they're, they're cadets and and I'm an officer actually like I'm a commissioned officer. So the line that we have to have to toe is, is very well defined, but it would be very easy to cross. Mm-hmm. Just if you try and interact like just two normal people, right? There are certain things you just like don't do, you don't say, you don't talk about. And that's okay. Uh, it preserves the integrity of our relationship as as student and instructor mm-hmm. in this capacity. Um, but I still try to be there as a resource because 
again, I didn't feel like I had a resource when I was in their, their mm-hmm. position. Well, so there's a bunch of things that I'm interested in from what you're, from what you're saying. And one is I'm aware that I think the people listening don't really have much of a context of where you are in the United States or, or anything like that. So they don't really have a, a sense to orient you. But I think that's probably less interesting than I, I like the way that you're saying, okay, this, this is probably a better way of putting it. Compared to the person who was in your position prior to you, have you gotten any feedback from your superiors about the quality of officers who graduate or, or have you gotten any, I don't know, they do reviews? Like, are you seeing some sort of measurable impact from the effort that you're putting into these students' success? Uh, so with regard to, we'll, we'll address the, the superiors part first. Um, most of the people, the cadre, we would say, the other instructors um, at the program and at all ROTC programs across the country, they're active duty army. Mm-hmm. So I'm not quite the same as them. I am in the National Guard, but I'm a full timer. So most mm-hmm. people don't know, like if you think of the National Guard, you hear you know, a week in a month, two weeks in the summer, and then, you know, when a hurricane hits mm-hmm. or when a pandemic hits, right, then, then we go to work. Um, but for all of the part-timers, there is a full-time support staff. Uh, basically, I am one of those full-timers. So I say all that to say that all the active duty people, it's like any other duty assignment for them, and they rotate in and out every three years. So there's not been like most of the people that were there when I was a cadet are now gone. So there's not any necessary, necessarily any way to compare me to my instructors mm-hmm. externally. Mm-hmm. Um, if some of my peers maybe were to come back and, you know, they know how we were handled and then they watch me handle, uh, my sophomores, they could, I'm sure they, they could and would see a difference. Um, but as far as, you know, someone who, who rates me or evaluates me, there's not really any of that. Um, fortunately, I don't feel that I need that because I know, mm-hmm. I know, um, even if I wasn't getting the result from the cadets that I necessarily wanted, I would still know. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because I'm deliberately trying to do the things that they did not do. And I am doing them. Now, is it having the desired effect? Yes. Um, cool. They, there's definitely some expectation management involved because I know that while they are uh, cadets and they're trying to commission as officers in the army, like they're also still college kids. Mm-hmm. So I don't necessarily expect that on a Thursday morning, when they don't have to be awake until a certain time that a bunch of them or a majority of them are going to wake up earlier than necessary, put on boots and pick up a 35 to 45 pound backpack and come walk around in the cold with me for a couple hours. Mm -hmm. I don't expect that at all. Would I like them all to show up? God, yes. Mm -hmm. But if a few of them show up, that's good. And I know that those few want to improve and I'm giving them the opportunity to improve. I have zero doubt that they know that I'm invested in their success. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they must feel that. 
and it's not just uh, just me to be abundantly clear. We typically are, are paired up um, in teams. So there's usually two instructors to a, a like a grade. So we're MS2, military science two. It's me and my, my boss. I'll say my boss, my supervisor, my mentor, um, all the same person. So he and I, uh, anyone that's listening to this, that's listened to my podcast, um, you've heard the episodes with Bossman. That's him. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see eye to eye on a lot of things. Uh, he's certainly got some, some age on me and some experience. Um, <laughs> that I lack and that I probably won't have just because, you know, I'm not in the active army. I haven't had the positions or, or opportunities that he's had, but I think fundamentally we see and we see things similarly and, and we prioritize, we prioritize the kiddos, <laughs> you know, kiddos. we both, <laughs> we're both very, very much, committed to seeing them succeed. And I'm very grateful for the way that he like handles me because as, a as you know, someone who's been on active duty for coming up on 10 years, um, who's pretty experienced and who's a pretty high performer. Um, I, as a national guard Lieutenant, like he doesn't owe me shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know that. So when we in October started working together, I didn't expect him I didn't know him. I didn't expect anything. Uh, Of course, I hoped that we would gel and we would be effective because I knew that I wanted to accomplish certain things, but I could not have dreamed that we would uh, work together as well as we do or that he would respect what I want to do and enable me to do what I want to do as much as he has. It's very funny, actually, like this class that we were just doing uh, yesterday and today. Mm-hmm. Um, I came back, you know, for lunch, whatever, yesterday after doing the first three sections. We have eight sections. So I'll teach the same class eight times over two days. Ouch. Um, you would think so, but I, you know, it's a different group of them every time and mm-hmm. I get to make the class better every time. So by, by you know, 250 on on a Tuesday or Thursday. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of tired, but it's also awesome because I've if I'm successful, I've gotten to see eight times I've gotten to turn the light bulb on for them. Oh well, you know? okay, that makes sense. Um so it's it's electric. It's really cool. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yesterday at lunch I like went back to the office and I just sat down and I was like like, sir, this is going really well. Like I'm having fun. Like, here's the plan that I came up with. Here's how I'm doing it. And he's like, you know, you're not like, you know, you're teaching this class. Like I made you teach this class on purpose. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, okay. He's like, okay. you know, this is one of those areas where I felt that you could reach them where I wouldn't be able to. Um, and that, I don't think I, I reacted like too much in the moment, but that, that struck a chord with me. Like that made me feel pretty good that not only does he know what I want to do, um, but he sees things in me that I don't necessarily recognize myself. Uh, and he's actively trying to show me, not just, not just tell me, but he's trying to show me. Mm-hmm. 
he's giving me the opportunity to have the experiences to figure these things out. So not just from a uh, professional standpoint, but from a personal standpoint, like it's doing an incredible job of developing me as an officer, but also as a human. Um, and I just feel really like grateful for that. I know he's going to listen to this and hmm. then he probably won't say anything about it. I'll know that he listened and we'll just both be like, okay. Yeah. And that's fine. Um, I have no problem with that, but I, I, it's just fun. It's a fun dynamic and it's, it's just, it's interesting. I'm learning. I'm learning a lot all the time. Well, from, from my perspective to hear you describe, you're describing a couple of parallel dynamics where, um, you know, on one hand, you're investing a lot in your, in your, uh, kiddos, <laughs> I guess. And, you know, lo and behold, someone's coming in investing in you. Kind of amazing how that works, right? You're, you're, you show up like, I like what you said, like, you know, my supervisors don't owe me anything, you know, whatever, anything that you would want or anything that you would want to gain from your position has to be earned when you come in and they don't know who you are. And there's not even a lot of continuity in terms of measurement of effectiveness, you know, so you really have a bar to know. You just have your own internal standards of, no, this is, this is how I do things. And when you, when you do things that way, like people notice, I mean, most people, you know, don't really show up or work hard. You know, it's pretty, it's pretty incredible how low the bar is in so many ways these days. And so when come, someone actually comes into an environment and spends the time and energy to do it right, like we were talking before the, car, uh, the call and you said, you know, you thought my podcast was really pro. And thank you for that, by the way. And I, and I appreciate that. But for me, it's like, this is like, a, this is just how I do things. And, and people, and it's like, you know, so people will come back and they say, wow, they listen to the podcast. Like, no, this is just the, the bar that I set for myself. And people then, because I invested in it, people invest back in me, which is the best feeling. So thank you to all of my bosses who have invested in this podcast. But I like that dynamic that you're describing, like you're giving and you're receiving at the same time in the ways that it means something to you. Something to you. Yeah. Yeah, it's, you know, I, I, like I said, I didn't expect anything. And I also, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. if I wasn't, if I wasn't getting anything, I wouldn't have changed in anything. That's awesome. I That's would awesome. still be, I would still be trying mm -hmm. to accomplish the same thing. That said, I, I have a pragmatic enough uh, perspective on things to understand that I would not be as successful. Mm -hmm. Or I would not have grown as much from it myself without him facilitating these things. So mm -hmm. while I wouldn't do anything differently, I don't think that the results would be what they are without that. So it's cool. That's really cool. And yeah, to just, you know, I think the first time you really receive mentorship, it's like a big like eye opener. Like I had, I had called people a mentor, uh, before, excuse me, uh, I had called people mentors before I'd felt like I was being mentored, but <laughs> I understand now. Yeah. Like I sat down and he was like, you're going to read this book. I don't care how, but you're going to read this book because you need it and it will be good for you. And I said, oh, okay. Yes, sir. And then I went and read it and it's like, sir, this is really good. He's like, okay, here's the next one on the list. <laughs> Even just something as simple as that, uh, that means a lot to me. Oh like, yeah. And so that's, that's the other thing when you, 
it, it goes back to what we're talking about. And he'll he'll also tell you that it's all in other people for him. Um, like when you aspire to or endeavor to live in service of others, like it gets reciprocated. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm, I'm feeling that, um, it's really neat. Yeah. I mean, that's the, I mean, you're describing the essence of, of mentorship. This is something, this is something that's such a common theme in the worlds that I inhabit with the Renaissance of men about how men are looking for, uh, connection, brotherhood, initiation. Um, fatherhood is a big subject right now, of course. But I think one of the things that doesn't get acknowledged so much is how much men actually do need mentors. And your father can be that. But outside of your father these days, not many men will ever get the chance to have a connection with, with another man who is actually a mentor who actively takes the time to invest in them and cultivate them to be the best version of themselves they can be. Like we all log on and we do various self-improvement programs or read self-improvement books and, and all, and all that stuff is fantastic. But you know, the Greeks were kind of onto something with this mentor system. Like, Hey, I see some potential in you and I'm going to go and I'm going to see you and I'm going to invest in you to help guide you around the corners that you can't see and help you see into your blind spots and help you cultivate the aspects of yourself man to man that you can't cultivate it, that you, that you can't, necessarily grow in the ways that you want to, or even to support you in the things that you think are great about yourself. That doesn't really happen anymore for many men, you know? And well, just to be fair, it doesn't happen that many people, you know, show up like yourself. It's like, well, I got to be there at nine to help the, help these, you know, cadets, you know, get something. I think I'll be there at five 30. (laughs) That doesn't, that doesn't happen very much. Like that's not even the extra mile. That's the, you know, that's the extra, you know, zip code or area code or something like that. You know, that's, that's, that's a significant difference. And I, I just think that's really great to hear about because those aren't the stories you really hear anymore. Of, hey, I'm being a mentor to these kids kind of, and I'm being mentored, like how, especially in the military. I don't know. And I, I can't, I don't really think that I'm qualified to speak on how that normally goes in the military because my like military experience has been a pretty atypical one. I have not followed, I'm not on active duty and I've not followed a traditional national guard path Mm -hmm. at all. Um, so I, you know, I can't speak on what life in the active army is like, but I'm getting, I'm kind of getting a taste now. Um, ROTC for an active duty assignment is about as chill as it gets. So where, boss man has the opportunity to pour time and, and effort into me here, you know, there might be probably would be more stuff that demanded his attention at work. <laughs> if we're on active duty, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I'm quite sure that there was. So it's, it's all of those things combined. Um, the type of person that, that I am, that he is and the environment, that we're in that have kind of allowed it to happen. At least that's how I, I see it. Mm-hmm. It had to be a perfect storm. Like that said, I think he would still, if say we were, you know, I worked for him, but we were on active duty. I absolutely think he would still be trying to develop me and mentor me, but I don't think that the relationship would necessarily be the same as it is. 
mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of like right place, right time, right guys, right? Well, so let's, yeah. orient, let's orient people where, where you are in the United States a little bit and give mm-hmm. them a sense a little bit of your, of your upbringing and your background and stuff like that. We've, got, we've gotten deep into philosophy, which is fantastic, <laughs> which is great. So let's, let's help. Let's, uh, I mean, I know, I know you quite a bit of your story or the bits that you've shared in Bubbles. And as much as I'd sure. like you to go over it, I do think it'd be better for people to listen to it on their own. So maybe that'll be some homework I'll assign before people can uh, before people can listen to the podcast. But just a bit about your background and, and what led you to where you are today. Sure. Um, so I'm from about 30, 45 minutes north of Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, I was born, raised all within, you know, a few miles uh, my, my whole life. Uh, now I live a little bit further up the road. Uh, only about 20 minutes from the house that I grew up in. Um, my parents moved to this area uh, in like the late 80s when it was still a bunch of farmland. Uh, so they kind of got in on the ground level and then it has exploded into kind of one of the like the wealthiest places in Georgia. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I ended up growing up in was a really um, culturally diverse and pretty affluent area. Although like we were very solidly middle-class. I never as a kid realized, uh, if, if, you know, if we were ever in trouble, I didn't know it. Um, Mm -hmm. I felt like, you know, they gave me, they gave me everything that I needed and some of what I wanted. And then after a certain point, it was like, Hey kid, you, you know, (laughs) you want it, you gotta, you gotta get it yourself. Yeah. You can ask me what, uh, what chores, what chores you can do to make money or you can go, uh, go knock on the neighbor's door and, you know, pick up their pine cones and and rake their yard. If you want to, you want to get the money to go buy that toy or whatever it was, you know, one of the things that always sticks out to me is my, my younger siblings. Uh, I have two, a brother and a sister. Um, they, they learned how to make these, these paper snowflakes like as big as a dinner plate. They're really cool. Actually, I still can picture exactly what they look like uh, and they'd make them and then they'd uh, use the whole punch and make a hole in the top and put them on a pipe cleaner and they'd twist the top up. Uh, and then they'd go around at the holidays and they'd sell them to the neighbors mm-hmm. buck a buck a piece. <laughs> they made money doing that. My brother, um, and it would go around and, and do lawns like that was, that was his thing. Um, so we never wanted, well, no, <laughs> of course we wanted things cause we're kids. Mm. Right. But we never, we never wanted for anything, if that makes sense. Um, you know, we, we absolutely had what we needed. Um, and we had, we had a good, good childhood, um, took trips. Like there were, there were two big road trips that we did when I was younger. One of them was all the way up the East coast, uh, up to Maine. And then the other one was out your way. Um, so kind of out West, um, and those were all, that was all before my parents got divorced and my parents got divorced when I was in third grade. Um, so pretty early on, uh, if I'm, if I'm completely honest, I don't have a ton of, of memories of like, of my parents together. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if they're there and they're kind of just buried, uh, or whatever it is. I'm sure that's the case. Um, but I don't, I don't remember a lot of that stuff. Um, but you know, 
anyways, when my parents did get divorced and I was in the third grade, um, looking back, I'm really grateful for, for them and how they handled that. Um, I think all too often, if, you know, it does come to that in a relationship, people are not amicable mm-hmm. about it and things get really hostile and toxic. Um, and, and this wasn't that, you know, my dad put himself in a very compromising position financially by, you know, saying that he would, he basically just walked away. Um, mm-hmm. not emotionally, but he didn't try to say, well, you, you know, you got to sell the house and give me half the money or here's, here's all these assets that I, you, you owe me, whatever. Um, they, they parted ways and he didn't want to, I don't think he wanted to inflict any more, you know, pain or discomfort on us. So even once that happened, you know, our circumstances didn't really change, uh, as far as like socioeconomic, uh, type stuff. So quality of life very much, uh, stayed the same, like had my friends in elementary school and then things just kind of went on when I went to middle school. I guess I won't get too much into that (laughs) stuff, but (laughs) because I, I said that somewhere else, but yeah, I'll wrap it up. Uh, I didn't have it hard as a kid. I don't have some like some story about, you know, I didn't get, uh, nothing crazy happened to me to make me the way that I am. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was really fortunate. I'm still very fortunate. Um, still have both of my parents in my life and I am probably definitely <laughs> not good enough about, you know, talking to them. Um, so that's the thing that I should definitely get better at. Mm-hmm. Um, Military, because that's significant. That's a big part of how I uh, how I ended up uh, the way that I am. I think. Um, so I was a senior in high school. I hate school. Hate, hate school. And I think that's another reason why I really try hate, my best. Hate or hated school. Like you know, oh, I still, you still, like I still school. actively, I still actively dislike school, even though I'm now in charge of school. Um, Perfect. Which is probably one of, <laughs> which is probably one of the reasons that I try so hard to make school not suck for the kiddos. <laughs> Smart. Yeah. Um, um, but you know, academics, like never really my thing. Uh, I am a, a classic case of, I don't even like to say this. I don't gas myself up very much, but like I'm a classic case of underutilized potential because I could never, uh, as intelligent as I may have been, I could never muster the attention mm-hmm. for things that I was not emotionally invested in. So like I would get told by my parents and teachers all the time, like, you know, these are careless errors. You're so much more capable than this. You should be doing better. You're, you're more intelligent, whatever it is. And I would like pretend, you know, to be like, Oh yeah, I, you know, I'll pay more attention. I should, I should do better. And I should have done better. I should have paid more attention, but I also definitely did not care about, you know, like algebra (laughs) or, you know, whatever the given class was that I was, I was having trouble in. Um, so I was a senior in high school. I had like a, just above a three, maybe like a three, two GPA, whatever. So, um, nothing bad for someone who hates school. I was fortunate to be able to, 
to coast a lot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you did mention that in the bubbles episode, and I wanted to ask you about that. <laughs> yeah, coasting, coasting, that was the thing. And we can talk about that more if you like. Um, but, you know, I didn't have any real like extracurriculars that would have made me competitive. My academics weren't that competitive. I certainly wasn't going to be getting any any scholarships for for sports or or grades. Um, and like I said, we we were not uh, bad off, but we also were not like to the point of oh, we're just going to pay college, you know, pay for college cash. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really want to like take out loans. I didn't even know if I wanted to go to college. Right. So it's Jan January of my senior year of high school, and I've applied to two colleges. Um, one of them because uh, of where it is. And the other one, because it had this uh, really good physical therapy program. Um, when I was a sophomore in high school, I had to stop racing the bike and really stop riding the bike altogether for a while because um, I, I screwed my knees up uh, mm-hmm. at, you know, starting from my freshman year of high school, I was in like weight training class and, you know, high school weight training class is probably not the most productive way to uh, strength train, especially as a as a teenager uh, who doesn't know the first thing about taking care of myself or diet or form or any of these things, right? So uh, I was on the bike a ton, training, racing, lifting, and eventually it got to this point. And 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 racing as a junior uh, on the bike, we'll touch on that briefly. If you're serious, you race the juniors races. So for all of the 18 and under, and then you also race whatever category of uh, men's races that you're fast enough to be in. Mm -hmm. So there'd be times when I was racing four times a weekend because you'd have an event on Saturday, an event on Sunday, and you would do juniors and men's both days. So you take four races at like max effort per weekend combined with still having to train during the week and lifting, you know, all these things culminated in uh, a 15 year old with really severe overuse injuries in his knees. Yeah. Um, so I had to like basically just take all the time off the bike and I ended up going physical therapy and kind of figuring out like that was the first time I felt like there was like a thing that I wanted to do. Um, I want to be a physical therapist. And so after I finished physical therapy, there was no program or anything, but I went to my PT and I was like, his name was Kirk. And I said, Kirk, like, I know this isn't a thing, but like, I want to be your intern. So mm-hmm. for my last like year and a half of, of high school, I just interned at the physical therapy clinic that I had gone to just because it was a thing that I, I wanted to do. And that was, I, I wasn't going to go to college for the bike mm-hmm. either. Mm-hmm. So the only real like guiding thing that I had or inkling of direction that I had, uh, was, was physical therapy. Mm-hmm. So in, you know, while I had applied to those two schools, I still didn't really know what I was going to do if I was going to do it. Uh, and then I found out that one of the schools I had applied to had this pretty cool, um, full ride scholarship. Mm, yeah. You mentioned that. So this is, you're great. You're getting all the things I wanted to ask you about <laughs> that, that I, you know, I met the requirements for it. Uh, mm-hmm. They gave out 42 of them a year. Funny enough, I've spent the last three weeks when I'm not teaching, uh, actually doing in, uh, scholarship interviews for, mm-hmm. 
for the same scholarship. Oh, nice. Um, so that, that's been, that's been interesting for sure. Every time I hang up on one or, you know, at the end of one, I wonder like, geez, did I, you know, did I sound like that? You know, when I was that age and I, I said, I, I'm positive, positive yeah. that I was way worse than all of them. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's you know, awesome. Whatever, you know, <laughs> as much as I don't want to say it, like, yes, I'm sure I sounded every bit is weird. I got to just go down this little, little rabbit hole really fast. Yeah, go for it. One of the, one of the ones that I talked to today, she taught herself Japanese. Oh, wow. Just for funsies. Why not? Right. Just, I don't know. Like sometimes, sometimes they're really cringy, like typical high school kids. And then this one was just like, one of the questions is like, what are your two most significant accomplishments? And she's like, uh, I would say that my number one is, is teaching myself Japanese in three <laughs> years. And I was like, uh, I'm sorry, this isn't an interview question, but can you like tell me more about that? Cause I'm just really curious. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but anyways, I, you know, I figured what the hell I'll apply for this scholarship. The application deadline was two weeks from the day that I found out about it. So <laughs> among other things, uh, you know, like completing the application and taking a, you know, a picture and doing all these things, I had to get a, a recommendation from a state legislator. Um, so my mom being the rock star that she was kind of shouldered that one, started reaching out to any and everyone, uh, you know, from our district and eventually, um, got a hold of, of one of the, the representatives. Um, and we got, we got everything submitted it in time, went up to the school and did the interview. Uh, and then on my 18th birthday, like lo and behold, we found out, uh, that I, that I got it. That's great. So I went from not knowing if or how I was going to go to school to now there's a, there's a full ride scholarship in my lap. The only way to get a full ride to the school that I went to is that scholarship. Wow. And my, wow. and my dumb ass somehow <laughs> got one of them. Um, so that, that decision was basically made. Uh, one of the stipulations of that scholarship is that you enlist in the Georgia Army National Guard. So you're in the guard all the way through college. And then you owe the state of Georgia uh, four years at a minimum once you commission. So I'm a couple years into that, that post commissioning commitment now, but yeah, you know, that, that happened. And then that's how I ended up on, I guess I've always been on this track, but, <laughs> but that's, that's how I ended up really starting to make significant changes and being put in positions where I was required to make significant changes. Um, I had never been too good at being uncomfortable, uh, which is funny because cycling is all about who can suffer the most. Mm -hmm. um, I think part of the reason that I was never as good as I could have been as a teenager when I was racing for the first time is that I didn't really understand like legitimately just suffering and being okay with it. And mm -hmm. it wasn't until I was put in a situation where I didn't have a choice it didn't matter if I was okay with it anymore. Um, like I was just going to be made uncomfortable and I was going to have to exist in it and still survive that, that I, I started to understand, um, 
how that looks. Uh, and so subsequently when I, you know, during college decided that I wanted to get really fit on the bike again, cause I had this mental block about my knees still years mm-hmm. later. Uh, so I got a coach and we, we built my, my fitness back up and I was the fittest that I've ever been. Um, <laughs> when I went back to racing that time, all of a sudden, like I wasn't leading people out anymore. Like I was a sprinter mm. because where I had the physical capability before I did not have the, the resilience, the mental fortitude to suffer enough to get to the end where I could have actually taken advantage mm. of that physical capability. Uh-huh. And so that was a pretty cool experience where there's actually, there's still a video, one of my favorite, just stupid little clips on YouTube, but, um, we're on a training ride around here one time. Um, you know what Strava is? Yeah, it's a it's a mileage counter or something like that, right? Yeah, so cyclists and runners and other athletes use it, but Strava has segments. So certain places, you know, say there's a, a climb or there's a, a flat section, right? You can compete with all the other people who who ride on it. So your times are recorded and you post to a leaderboard. Well, where we're from in the metro Atlanta area, like Strava was at the time very big. Mm-hmm. So there was this one segment that we went for where we just knocked it down. And on a bike under my own power, <laughs> I took that segment going 42 miles an hour on a bicycle on flat ground. That's, that's fast. As I, I will, I will, <laughs> I'll find the clip and send it to you. And maybe, maybe you'll, you'll see it for what it is. Maybe not, but that's just, it's fun. So it was really cool that now I was in a position of like actually seeing some, some fruits of my labor and being able to kind of take advantage of my potential because I understood how to be uncomfortable. And the army certainly did that for me. Uh, I remember my first night, once I actually shipped off to Fort Benning, uh, you, you don't just go straight into like the training portion. There's this, uh, like week long period called reception where it's just like this big depressing building uh, and you just go and get shots and mm. stand in line and, and do stuff. Uh, and the first night, I didn't get into this bay where we were sleeping until like three in the morning. I knew wake up was at five. Mm. Um, and so I went to sleep. They came in. It felt like 30 minutes later and just flipped the lights on. <laughs> and I'm bleary eyed, totally disoriented. Like, I go get in the shower and I was just like, I cried in the shower, man. Yeah. Straight up. Cause I was just like, I am in so far over my head. Mm -hmm. Well, that morning I, (laughs) I shaved my face with a razor for the first time. Mm -hmm. You want to talk about me feeling just like absolutely useless and incompetent. Here I am like, trying to figure out how to drag the razor across my face without just cutting myself mm-hmm. all over. Cause I'm, I have, you know, a lot of Italian in me and coarse hair, mm-hmm. um, just tons of cuts, Nick's. I know I'm running, <laughs> I'm running late. I'm going to get yelled and screamed at. I'm trying to stop the little cuts from bleeding. Cause I don't want to go out there and let them see that I couldn't shave. Like I was a wreck, man. Yeah, well. Um, I feel like, <laughs> I feel like more of a wreck than I should have been. But, you know, whatever, got through it. Um, and, and I just touched the, the surface of starting to understand, like, 
that being uncomfortable is a good thing. Um, that's a real, that's a real good way to learn that. It's like, Oh, you can be, we're going to make you almost as uncomfortable as possible in the circumstances. Like, Oh, I better get used to this. Someone, someone is going to listen to that man be like, I'm not, I just totally discredited myself to somebody. Someone's going to hear that and they're going to turn the shit off. Uh, well, I, you know, I bet. No, but I mean, you know what? what? Oh, I, I don't think so. And here's, well, if that person is still listening, if you're, if you're about to turn this off and you're still listening, you know, like we all come from different places, you know, like everyone, everyone for the first time faces the first challenge that forces them to step up their game. You know, we're not born eating rocks, you know, Jocko Willing didn't start his life being like, good, you know, like he, he didn't start that way. Like he had to, he had to grow to be that way. So it's like, you know, I, I hear stories like that. And I guess I can appreciate because I've been in really uncomfortable situations as well. It's like, oh, wow. I'm way in over my head. Like, you know, just, to, just as a quick example, I, I love sailing and I went to, I went on a sailboat trip from, uh, from Fiji to Vanuatu. And it was like a, supposed to be a seven day, a seven day crossing and, you know, across open ocean, essentially open Pacific ocean. And I got to the deck in Fiji where the, the dock, where the boat was. And this is in a small town and the boat is in, not in, is in pieces. You know, it's hot. There's mosquitoes everywhere, and the captain's a jerk. And it's like, okay, well, this this sucks right out the gate. Like, what have I done? I'm here in the middle of nowhere. It's like, well, I just got to make it work. You know, like it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where you start. What matters is that you, you keep going. You know, because there are plenty of people. You know, the person who who quits. You know, doesn't let, like the podcast. Who knows what the things that they've quit from? But you didn't quit. You know, like the expectation is not that you know, again, that you're, you're, you're drinking a cup of nails for breakfast. It's just that you started out in a place that you decided to overcome, right? That's how I look at it. Sure. That's fair enough. Well, I wanted to, I wanted to, oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, no. I was, I was, I would much rather answer your question because I don't think I was going to say anything of substance. (laughs) (laughs) Well, actually there was a story, there was a story that you had in, in high school that I wanted to, that I wanted to ask you about. And, um, it was, it was when you got into that, uh, that fight. And that was like, for me, as I was listening to your, to your story, that was like the kind of the standout moment of the whole thing. Like the way that you, the way that you related that, and this is, this is before you, this is before you went into the military, you know, and this was, you know, sort of seems like a real epic, like cinematic kind of challenge. <laughs> you know what I mean? I wonder uh, if you could share a bit about that. That was such a stupid situation, man. (laughs) If I just think of like some classic dumb high school stuff, like that, that happened to me, like (laughs) that stupid high school story that is like so outlandish that you wouldn't even believe it. Like that happened to me, um, which that's, that's really how I look at it. Um, it was the most ridiculous, the most ridiculous thing. Uh, but at the same time, like I, I wrote at the start of that, you know, (laughs) how ironic that the base of, uh, you know, it was at the base of some stairs and on those stairs, you know, the man in the arena. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. (laughs) Really? Like (laughs) I did not, I didn't embellish that story at all, but I, I think if there's one part of that, that, that writing that I did a good job of, it is that, Mm -hmm. um, I didn't really realize until I started actually putting the words down, like kind of what you said, like it was almost this like cinematic, uh, 
thing. But yeah, so my freshman year, um, I mentioned, I also mentioned in there that, you know, when I, whatever, I was in middle school and I watched the movie Never Back Down, Mm -hmm, which mm -hmm. still one of my favorite movies, but also still very cheesy, like not good, modern day karate kid type thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and, you know, I watched that movie uh, and then like the next morning I got up and I, it was like five in the morning and I just, I was like, I want to be hard tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is just, <laughs> how, I got this is up, how it is now. <laughs> and I got up at like five in the morning and it was so cold out. And of course I had clothes, but I just like went out the door in shorts and a t-shirt in like 30 degree weather. And I ran from uh, my dad's condo that he was living in uh, at the time down to the pool where we had like the clubhouse and the clubhouse had a gym. And in the gym, there was like some, some 45 pound plates on the on the bar, on the bench. And I just like, I was like, Oh, in the movie, he did this warm up where he just got in and like threw those 45s up. So I'm just going to get under that. Mm, yeah, dude, I probably weighed 145. <laughs> uh, at that point, I never lifted a weight in my life. So oh, I go man. in and like get on the bench and I, I unrack it and then come down and just stuck. Yeah. Yeah. Stuck. Right. So eventually I get out from under the bar. Um, and then I'm like pretty defeated. Mm-hmm. So my like, my grand vision has gone out the window quite, uh, quite quickly, but one of the other things that result, yeah. (laughs) One of the other things that resulted from my, my watching of that movie was that I went to, uh, I started going to jujitsu for the Mm -hmm. first time. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was probably 12 or 13 years old being the noncommittal kid that I was, it lasted for about six months. Uh, and then I just kind of, didn't want to do it anymore. Um, I say all that to say that when I got to high school and I wasn't doing any sports, I wasn't doing anything extra. Uh, I had a lot of time. Wrestling season came around and I thought, okay, well, I like jujitsu when I, when I was showing up. So maybe I'll like wrestling too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I did like wrestling. Uh, I got absolutely destroyed, you know, <laughs> like first match ever. I was like, uh, that cutting weight stuff looks really stupid. So I'm not going to do that. I'm mm-hmm. just going to wrestle at my, at my weight. And of course the opponents were cutting. So mm-hmm. I, re- I remember the first match I got, uh, taken down and cradled and pinned in about five seconds. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like a JV match, but I think they had, you know, some guy wrestling down or whatever. And yeah, five seconds <laughs> done. Ouch. <laughs> I was pissed. Yeah. But. Yeah. Later that night, my second match, I ended up uh, pinning the guy with seven tenths of a second left in the in the last uh, the last two minutes, last mm-hmm. round, whatever. So I, you know, it it turned around. Yeah. Um, but a couple months into that wrestling season, uh, we were at practice one day and was kind of working just with my partner and their. You know, there's always like the huge linemen that also wrestle mm-hmm. for their off-season training, uh, and those guys were were next to us. Uh, and one of them, he tried to throw, you know, throw the other guy. Another guy shifted his feet to keep his balance and swung one of his legs pretty aggressively, and that foot caught me straight in the temple. Mm. Um, and this is legitimately like a 250-pound yeah. dude. Um, so it, I don't believe that it knocked me out, but I did get a very severe concussion from it to the point where like when it happened, uh, 
I could not walk on my own and I couldn't, uh, I couldn't talk mm -hmm. at, at least like, like I could make words, but they would uh, come out like that, uh, where I could make the thoughts, but like, I couldn't make my body spit them out the way that I, I wanted to. So, you know, like two teammates, my mom came to, to pick me up and, uh, two teammates, like, you know, under my arms, like took me out to the car and we went and, you know, got a, a cat scan and they were like, uh, yeah, you got a concussion, like no bright lights, go look at the wall in your room and sleep. Mm. Um, and, and so that, that sidelined me from, from wrestling for a little bit. Um, by the time, you know, you do like these baseline tests mm -hmm. for those kind of sports so that if you have, you know, if you have a likelihood of, of getting concussed, they want to be able to tell when you've actually returned to your baseline. So mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think I had to retake the concussion test like five times. Mm, wow. Um, and there's usually a couple weeks between each, uh, like a week or two between each test. So it was like a, a couple months before I was back to baseline where they would have cleared me uh, to go back to practice. Mm -hmm. And by the time I got cleared, there were like two weeks left in the season. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, the cycling season was starting and I was like, in my head, I was just like, well, wrestling season's basically over. The bike is, the bike season's just starting. So like, why don't I just not go to wrestling? Just tell like, I'm not going to go back. Yeah. Um, I got a concussion. A I don't, I don't think I want to go back as a sophomore. So why don't I just, you know, tell them I'm, I'm done. Why don't I just quit two weeks early? Well, I did. Um, but the juniors and seniors on that team, some of them more than others, didn't take very kindly uh, to that. So did they not care that you had gotten a concussion or like, did they not, well, is it well, the whole two weeks thing? In hindsight, I would also have been salty about the two weeks thing. Uh, okay. just on principle, just on principle. Like I'm always, I've always been the kind of person where if it doesn't make sense, like why would I do it? Mm -hmm. You know? And so that didn't make sense to me at the time, but I now understand the importance of, of following through on your commitments. Okay. And, and when you say you're going to do something, you do it. Okay. That's I fair. have, I have very little patience for people who say that they will do something and then they don't do it. Mm -hmm. if, if your language is non-committal, then that's okay. You know, you say you're interested in doing something you'd like to, um, you want to, oh, that's cool. That's fine. I will never hold it against you mm -hmm. if you don't. But the moment that you, with your words, you choose words that commit you to something. Mm -hmm. The moment that you tell me you're going to do something or you're going to show up or whatever it is like, and you fail to do it, mm -hmm. we have, I'm not just going to like write you off as a person, but my perception of you changes yeah. at that point. Yeah. Amen. Um, <laughs> I'm going to be honest. I had a, like a, a panic, like a full on whatever, like panic about 20 minutes before we were uh, scheduled to jump on uh -huh. because I, uh, right before I hopped in the shower, I was looking at calendar invite and it came up in mountain time and I didn't see mountain time. I just saw 5 PM. Okay. And, and I was like, oh my God. Like I told Will I was going to, I schedule, I set this time with uh -huh. Will. Oh. He gave me all the options in the world. I set this time and then I completely blew it. Like, mm -hmm. like. 
you you could have you could have been like, hey man, uh, like we're just we're not going to do this, and I would have been like, yo, I deserve that. Oh, I one hundred percent would have would have told you that I deserved it, and I wouldn't have held it against you for a second. Mm. Uh, eventually, I saw Mountain Time, and I was I was very relieved. <laughs> Big sigh of relief. Um, yes, but no, I, I freaked out for a second because I, I really mean what I say about um, when I when I use committal language, like I intend to do these things. Yeah. Um, especially if I'm if I go so far as to set a date and a time. Yeah. Like. I'm I'm going to I'm going to make good on my word. Not only because it's the right thing to do for you, because you, you know, you're communicating to me that you value uh, what I have to say, or you value me enough to give me some of your time. Right? I, I find time to be very precious. That's true. Uh, not only my own, but that of others as well. So the idea to me that I would waste somebody's time or that someone would waste mine is like intolerable. Mm-hmm. Um, well, just real quick about that scheduling thing. I was actually something, the exact same thing happened to me because I was on Blood and Rain's podcast. I think it was Saturday. And uh, I was, I had just gotten back from the gym and a message popped up on my phone. And uh, it said, is the, is the room having trouble letting you in? I was like, it's not for another hour. And, and uh, there had been a scheduling conflict, because, not really a conflict, but like a misunderstanding due to, um, due to daylight savings time. So, uh, you know, just something, something didn't translate because California moved forward or something like that. So it's like, oh crap. So I pulled everything together and, and hopped on a little bit later than I would have expected. Call still went fine. But, you know, if, if that had happened, if you had missed some time zone misunderstanding, you know, for sure, like the important point is not really what, whether uh, I would have considered a big deal or not, because I, I wouldn't have, and we would have just found another time. But you yourself wanting to stick up and stick close to your word, I think is the, is the more important point, you know, which is. You're you're really showing yourself through this conversation, and I want you to get back to the story because I think people will like yes. it. Yes, you're really showing yourself to be a man of principles through all this, which is, I mean, it's I honor that because I think you can't really survive through this era of human history unless you have principles to guide you, and too many people don't, and that's a real shame. And you see it. I'm thank you. Um, I'm trying. You know, mm-hmm. I'm still, and and you said it to me. I guess it was yesterday. Maybe it was two days ago. Um, I'm younger than you, than you might've thought. Um, yeah, yeah, but- I'm still, <laughs> I'm still really young. I'm still figuring things out, but as I figure things out, if I, if I, uh, affirm that something is of great value to me, or if something is, if it's a principle that I hold dear, the moment that I, I have that realization, I've internalized it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's on. Yeah. Like why, why would I wait to start living something once I understand that it is the way that I must live. Mm-hmm. Right? right. I think a lot of people, I think a lot of people have that realization with uh, religion, but that's an entirely different conversation. Different right? Like comment. once, if, if you, if you feel that you truly like you, now you see the truth, you have no choice but to live the truth. Right. Mm-hmm. So anyways, uh, back to, back to my story. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I, so yeah, uh, weight training, that was, that was, uh, in like, uh, February maybe of my senior year of high school. So last day of last day of my freshman year of high school, what did I say? My senior year, it was my freshman year. Yeah. Um, last day of my freshman year of high school, we went to weight training class. We took our, our final, there was like a written final where there were some anatomy, uh, questions, you know, some questions about, Hey, you know, this lift, you know, targets this muscle, uh, or this motion, whatever. 
Um, the incline, so took that incline bench. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so, so, you know, we, we did that and then kind of that week there had been some, some rumblings that like, like they were, they wanted me to fight. Like mm-hmm. they wanted, they wanted someone to like fight me. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course that made me very nervous. Um, but, uh, you know, whatever, like I didn't really pay it that much mind because I didn't think that that was, uh, like going to be a legitimate thing. Uh, so sure enough, kind of the last day of class, like, you know, we're coming down to maybe like the last 20, 30 minutes. Um, those, those juniors, they had been like eyeing me, you know, they're all kind of huddled up, like talking, like looking over at me suspiciously, (sighs) looking at this, looking at this other kid and then like periodically like pulling him into their little circle to talk to him. They're going around to the, the other kids in the, in the field house, like collecting things from them. There was like money and like a condom and some like some pills and like this was all the stuff they were gathering up to pay him. They hired a so hit, that, they hired a hitman for you. So so that he would so that he would fight me. <laughs> yeah. Um that's that's some like I that's said some pretty is, weak shit. But I gotta say like is, oh, <laughs> tough wrestling seniors wanna you know want to beat up on the freshman who got a concussion. So we'll we'll pay some kid with change and condoms. <laughs> that's whack. <laughs> like I said, this is the most outlandish shit that has ever <laughs> happened. I'm convinced. That's um, so funny. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, so I, I kind of came to the conclusion like, okay, well, this is probably happening. So bell rings, <laughs> they left promptly. Yeah. And I decided that since I couldn't be out the door in front of them, I was going to be the last one out the door. Mm-hmm. That way, you know, I could at least know that no one was, you know, going to, going to come from behind and surprise me. You know, I could take my time going back and I knew there were certain spots where it would make sense for them to try and ball me up or trap me, whatever it was. It was an an ambush. (laughs) Kind of. Yeah. 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 Uh, Normally the weight training coach and what, what that weight training coach was supposed to do is walk us up to the main campus. Like that, it was like in, that's part of his job. Like he's supposed to supervise us on the way to and from the field house because it was like several hundred yards away from like the main campus of the high school. Um, so not only to make sure that we, you know, we didn't get into any trouble, but even though we just didn't like bolt to our cars in the parking lot and leave, mm-hmm. you know, he didn't do that. Um, the one time you had one the job. One t- yeah. And so of course I leave, uh, and, and coach was, you know, just said, bye, have a nice summer. All right, man. Well, here we go. So I walk out the door. They paid off coach kinda, too. <laughs> with condoms. <laughs> uh, but I, I walk out the door and I'm walking kind of under the bleachers. I get to the other side of the football field and this, this side that's close to the, the main campus. And there's this big, uh, like there's a gate. You walk out the gate that is to the stadium. There's a little ticket booth and the ticket booth sits on this little concrete pad at the base of a set of stairs. Um, 
it's a pretty long and steep set of stairs. So if you aren't standing right at the top of it, you can't see what's at the bottom. Mm -hmm. So it does a really good job of obscuring everyone's view as they're going to their cars in the parking lot. No teacher that's looking out their window can see what's happening down there. So they picked, you know, they picked a a good spot. Uh, There's only two ways for me to exit that space. Mm -hmm. They blocked both of them. Um, And so, yeah, I come around the corner through the gate and I see most of my class standing on this big set of stairs. There's a little sidewalk. Uh, That was the other, you know, um, way that I could have left and they were blocking that too. So yeah, on these stairs, Teddy Roosevelt's man in the arena Mm -hmm. speech, which, you know, I guess it's kind of fitting now. And I realized, as I said, as I said in the paper, you know, I was kind of stepping into my own arena um, at that point, um, I had to, done my little bit of going, going into Thunderdome. Yeah. What it felt like, <laughs> you know, so good. I, I love it. <laughs> I had done like my little bit of my, my six to eight months of jujitsu in middle school. And then I had done my brief bad. stint wrestling. And, you know, when I was probably around the same time that I was in middle school, like, as I mentioned, uh, in, in bubbles, if you listen to it, um, I had, you know, friends that we would just fight. Mm-hmm. Like we were pissed off and we would find places to go fight. So I didn't necessarily know that much about what I was doing, but I had been punched in the face uh, on, on a couple instances. Mm-hmm. So that didn't uh, concern me too much. That's a surprisingly powerful thing. Just having been punched in the face one mm-hmm. time. Because right. once you get hit in the face one time, You get choked out one time, whatever it is, you realize it's not the end of the world. Like, oh, okay. Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily like this, but I can do it. Yep. Um, So going into that, I was just kind of like, okay, I got what I got. Uh, There's a fence at my back. To my left, there is a set of stairs that's blocked in front of me. There is a skinny kid who is showing me with his like overly aggressive uh, posture and shitty stance that he doesn't know anything about you know like fighting um, this is this is the, like hit, the hitman they called in yes the special forces operator <laughs> the mercenary i think he was just i think he was just the only one that they could convince oh, honestly man. um so but you know whatever uh, i was a skinny kid especially because i was you know riding the bike and cyclists if you've ever seen what a cyclist looks like like i was classic cyclist mm-hmm. build and i was a teenager so i was already skinny to boot um but this kid was just skinny, lanky, wiry. Um, so I, I looked at the situation and said, okay, well, I don't think I'm walking out of here right now. So I, you know, I dropped my bag. Um, and then we just kind of started circling. Um, he kind of eventually like moved in, um, to within striking distance. And then started throwing these like crazy out of control punches and I would just take a step back or dodge to the side, whatever. Like he wasn't landing anything. And as he, as he failed to land punches, he would just get progressively more and more angry and more and more reckless. So eventually I I was like, all right, I don't, I don't feel like standing here and doing this anymore. But I also like this whole time I knew I didn't really have a problem with him. So I didn't want to engage if I didn't have to, Eventually it got kind of close to him landing a couple and I was like, all right, let's, you know, let's, let's put some distance in between us. So I threw this like back kick 
at him that I learned from watching YouTube in middle school and kicking mm-hmm. a punching bag in my garage. That's all. Okay, so um, you did actually know how to execute that move. Well, knew so, how. Knew how. You didn't, you didn't just like flail uh, your leg out, you know? Correct. I was YouTube certified at, yeah. the, at the back <laughs> kick. <laughs> That's significant so, on the wall. <laughs> so, so, you know, it kind of... <laughs> I was probably not as fast about it as I should have been. And and he saw what was happening. So he kind of took a step back as I threw it and, and it like glanced off of his arms. Uh, it didn't really do too much, but I think it did kind of unsettle him because after over a minute of me doing nothing and a minute in a fight seems like a long time. It's forever. Um, yeah. After a whole minute of me doing nothing, I threw this kick and I think it kind of caught him off guard. And so after that, he like rushed in um, and that's what I had been wanting the entire time. I didn't want to hit him back, but I didn't just want to stand there. The only thing that I knew a little bit of was how to tie up and go to the ground. Mm -hmm. And so he made the mistake of coming in close enough that that I was Mm -hmm. able to do that. So, so, you know, I, I caught him over under, he didn't know how to pummel. So I just like caught him over under and hip tossed him mm-hmm. uh, onto this concrete pad, which got quite the reaction. I don't remember a lot about what was going on around me because sure, yeah. I very much had tunnel vision, but I, I do remember that that got quite the reaction. Mm. Like he hit the ground really hard and then all the, the kids were just like, oh, you know, just mm-hmm. going, going whatever nutty. Um, the bookies are handing so, over their cash. Yeah. <laughs> So, so it got to this point where I just kind of had him like pinned cross face where I had one arm under his head and and one over his, uh, you know, across his face. Uh, and I was just like grabbing my arm. So I was just squeezing his face between my arms, all my weight on his chest and his head, you know, up on my, my sternum and my toes. Like I got taught in wrestling all my weight on him and he had nowhere to just go. He was really pissed. Yeah. So he was just, you know, with, he could maybe get an inch or two between his elbow and the ground. And so he's throwing these really short, like weak, just irritating punches and hitting me in the side of the head repeatedly, um, you know, flailing around. And so I was circling with him. Um, I later figured out that there was when I, when I hip tossed him and went down to the ground, my elbow landed on this rock, which proceeded to stay there while I circled. And it actually ground a hole in my, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, in my elbow, in my elbow. So when that was all done and I, I walked up the stairs and went inside the school to go to the bus, like nothing was wrong. I couldn't lie about it when the assistant principal approached me because there was several inches of skin hanging down, uh, the back of my arm and I didn't even realize it because mm-hmm. the adrenaline was still pumping. Yeah. Okay. But anyways, give away. I, you left that part of the story actually. Yeah. Um, and you know, that assistant principal's daughter was actually in the class. So mm-hmm. as all of this was happening, I can only assume that she was hightailing it back to his office to go get him. Okay. Um, it just didn't happen in time. So anyways, eventually, uh, I was like, all right, we're not going to get anywhere here on the ground. I'm not going to do anything more aggressive than this. And I'm not just going to sit here and hold him forever. So I stood up, I let him up and then he just started screaming at me. Um, to to pop off was the words he was mm-hmm. using. But he wanted me to swing back. He wanted me to hit him to do something, anything other than what I had been doing because right. I think he was immensely frustrated at that point. But in my head, I still knew that like I didn't really have a problem with him. Mm-hmm. Um, right. and, and so I shouldn't engage. And, and to boot, uh, 
I, you know, what, what consequences was, was I going to face at this point? What incentive did I have to engage? It's not like I had to prove anything. Mm-hmm. Like I made it, I made it pretty clear that he wasn't really going to better me and I didn't need to, I didn't need to hurt him or like do anything like that. Not that I necessarily even think I was capable of hurting him at that time, but I didn't need to try and do any like show of force or, or anything. So eventually he kept screaming at me and I, eventually he said, you know, uh, you're going to pop off like one more time. And I said, I looked at him and I said, no, cause I don't have a problem with you, man. And then I walked over to my backpack and I picked it up and walked up the stairs. And that was when I went in the building and, you know, the assistant principal came running down the hall and he said, you know, are you okay? What, what happened? I was like, oh, I was running back, uh, to go to the bus and I, I tripped and fell <laughs> really bad. And that, you know, and he, he knew, of course, because his daughter had told him. Right. Uh, so, you know, I ended up going in the nurse's office and they were like, yeah, you have to go to the hospital and get this irrigated and sewn up. We cannot handle this here. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, that was that was kind of the the story there. Hi, everyone. I hope you're enjoying my podcast with Rain Man from the 263 Collective. If you've been part of men's personal development for any length of time, you know the vital importance we place on fitness. One of the key turning points of my life that led directly to the renaissance of men was my losing 40 pounds during lockdown, when weak men were adding 20. I was motivated enough to do it on my own because frankly I'd had it with myself. Looking back now I wonder what I could have accomplished with guidance and support in creating my own physical renaissance which is why I'm so excited about my newest sponsor of the Renaissance of Men podcast, Derek Arellano of Train Volition. Together, he and I have assembled a special program called the Volition Renaissance, targeted specifically for Renaissance of Men listeners. It merges our core values, a man's need to embrace his masculinity, and his desire to achieve physical prowess. To bring this about, Derek has developed a 12-week all-encompassing online program. It involves a training and nutrition plan tailored for your goals, whether they be weight loss, mass gain, sports performance, or rehabilitation. You also get a mobile training app to track your progress, lifestyle coaching to help you cultivate habits for success, three PDF eBooks that outline Derek's philosophy behind fitness and nutrition, a 30-minute consultation where Derek gets to know you personally and plots your upward trajectory, and finally, a direct line to Derek for support when you need it most. The purpose behind this offering isn't just to get you in shape, but to create your physical renaissance. Because as I've personally discovered, true fitness goes beyond lifting heavy things and eating better food. It requires a total shift in mindset, and I know Derek can get you there. His brand is called Volition because it means making a choice, taking the path of effort, and using your willpower to achieve a goal. And that's why he's the perfect partner for the Renaissance of Men. This program is for men and women who are motivated and ready to create their physical rebirth. And if you ask me, there's no time to waste. So to learn more and sign up for the Volition Renaissance, visit Volition Training. That's V-O-L-I-T-I-O-N training.com slash men. This is Derek's most premium offering, which he's more than qualified to offer as a former top 10 U.S. bodybuilder. And to learn more about him, check out my podcast episode with him from this year titled Fitness and Your Higher Self. Once again, to learn more about the Volition Renaissance program and to sign up today, visit volitiontraining.com slash men. Thanks so much. And let's get back to the podcast with Rain Man from the 263 Collective. I really, I really liked listening to that story because 
I mean, you framed it in the larger context of the the series of events of your life that really shaped you into the into the into the man you are. And uh, there's there's more stories like that 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 paint a, a that paint the picture. And now that I have more context around you in terms of how you show up for the kiddos and and how uh, and and the mentorship, it, it really makes a lot of sense because you know I I think I might have gotten in one fight in grade school and I don't even remember it too well. I you know I. I don't know if I was at the loss. I don't know if I won. I don't really remember how it ended. I just remember that me and the kid who were fighting, you know, as, as boys do walk back and we're like talking to each other afterwards. You know what I mean? We kind of became friends afterwards, how that works. I don't know. But, um, you know, I, I heard that story and, and what I heard in it was, you know, that's a real formative, like spotlights on you kind of moment, you know, where you get, there are very few opportunities in life that are, I don't know that we're, we're that you really get the chance to step up and, 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 prove a lot of things you know there's nothing if the if the hitman that they hired i'm gonna call him a hitman because i like that you know if he if he loses i don't know that anyone in the crowd really cares like they're there to see you lose you know and you didn't and that's what were the what were the impacts of that what were there any i mean it was the end of the school year so maybe there wasn't much of anything um i mean so i actually like the next week on like that following monday school was out it was summer but i still got called at home and said, Hey, you're coming to, you know, the assistant principal's office because mm, okay. we got to talk about this. Um, and they actually, you know, both of my parents came, came with, um, and, you know, they actually kind of started off by like gathering the facts at the time. There was still this really junky, like 2010 flip phone, <laughs> uh, video of it on YouTube oh, that wow. some idiot had posted millions so, of hits. Know, it had like four and I think they were all me. Uh, <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Cause afterwards I was kind of trying to watch it and like figure out, figure out what happened. Cause you know, like I had, I had fought, like I said, I, I, I got in fights with my friends in middle school all the time. We would go fight on purpose. Right. Cause we were just pissed off. We wanted that. We mm-hmm. wanted to like beat each other up, but that's way different. Yeah. So, I did not, I never had like the tunnel vision, uh, that I had experienced that time. Uh, and so I was watching it trying to like figure out, you know, what all happened. Uh, but anyways, we, we got in there and they, you know, they pulled video up and they said, well, here you, uh, like it was when I, when I kicked him, mm-hmm. they said, well, you, you struck at him. Well, yeah. So you were, you were part of this fight. So you fought. I wasn't not part so, of the fight. <laughs> so you were fighting in school. You're getting in school suspension. And my dad was like, whatever that guy's name was, he's like, guy, I will put you on the national news if my kid sees a lick of punishment for go, this. I did not see a lick of punishment for that. Go dad. Awesome <laughs> but, work, dad. Yeah. Solid dad. Um, and by the way, that story is still... He doesn't, he doesn't, uh, like really drink to excess very often, but anytime that he does drink to excess and we're around like a group of people, he tells the story. Um, and of course he embellishes it more every time that he tells it. It's, it's one of my favorite things, like listening to him tell that story of the fight when he's like several drinks in, uh, and you know, anyways, um, so those, those kids all got, you know, in school or out of school suspensions. They had to do community service. And, um, so definitely 
you know, punitive stuff for them, but, but nothing really for me. Mm-hmm. Um, that certainly cemented that I wasn't going to go back to the wrestling team because those kids were still on the wrestling team, but right. they just kind of looked at me sideways and for the rest of high school. And, and that was that, um, two of three of them are actually dead from heroin overdoses now. Um, the other one, I think at least at one point was in jail because he held up a Kroger in Atlanta with a BB gun. Uh, that was a good plan. So real, real rock stars. Should have just, uh, should just hired someone with uh, to do it for you. Hire a hitman for you with condoms and change. <laughs> Sorry. That's not dude's in, dude's in, dude's in jail, but. Well, no, I don't see the funny thing is the hitman. He's the only one who I, I don't know. I don't know his outcomes. I can't find him anywhere. Um, <laughs> he's actually a professional hitman now. <laughs> perhaps. Not maybe he's, good. maybe he's gained some weight and learned to hold his hands in front of his face. I don't really know. Um, I'm not kidding. Well, like his, this, this was his stance. Like he's just like, like back here. Like yeah. I know you guys on, listening to this can't see but he just like had his right hand like down like he was just going to catch some haymaker just wind up and just crush me like that sorry dude that that wasn't going to work um youtube certified not even even. (laughs) it's like uh gta at best (laughs) (laughs) well i can hear uh i can i want to transition a bit because i can hear uh, kj in the back of my mind, mutual friend KJ talking, you know, saying that I'm not even going to try and do a KJ accent, but you know, I, I can hear him saying that we should talk about two, six, three, because I am actually curious about that. And there's, there's another, there's a reason for that because I, I finally got my rifle finally built, which I'm very excited about. It's been a very long process during, uh, uh-huh. during, uh, as KJ times says, uh, it's not really the before times, the before times and when it was, when it was easy. And now I guess is yeah. the after times. So I finally got my rifle built. That's it's a uh, it's sitting in back in my room, and I'm really excited. And so this is a new adventure that I'm that I'm heading on. So it was a sort of timely that the availability came up to uh, to talk about the two six three collective and what you guys are doing. Yeah, uh, and so I will say for you guys listening, uh, based on especially what you just said about you know about you've got your rifle built, two six three has come to exist in the space that it exists in. Uh, because of kind of the circumstances that it was it was started under, and I'll explain those momentarily. But I don't want two six three to be defined by the space that it currently exists in, because it it the message really is for everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, I need to do a better job of marketing it, if you will, to everyone or making it appeal to everyone. And, and I was actually talking to Cage about this yesterday. Like I'm. I'm very excited to see what the effects of this episode are because this is going to reach, excuse me, some groups of people that I would not have necessarily reached otherwise. Mm-hmm. Uh, 263 is not a, a firearms page, uh, but it exists in that, in that space. Um, Cause like the way that it ended up starting is that, uh, over summer, I guess this is just like a bright idea that happened in lockdown uh, or, or or something. Um, but for a long time, like I had followed uh, some some accounts, um, you know, people that that posted kind of like motivational, like accountability based type content, right? Mm-hmm. And that stuff, I liked it. Um, it worked for me, and I wanted to, I wanted to post that stuff myself. Um, but I felt like 
Like, I didn't want to be that guy, you know, like you follow one of your friends from high school or college to see, you know, what they're doing with their life uh, or to just kind of keep, you know, keep updated from a distance. Um, you don't want them to suddenly start flooding your timeline with motivational posts. Like hmm. that would have been like a very like, oh, this is that guy, that guy thing to do. I didn't want to do that. So for a very long time, I was just kind of like, well, guess I'm not doing that. I don't know why it never occurred to me to start another page. Uh, but eventually it occurred to me like, hey, you should start another page. Um, and so a lot of the people that were putting out that kind of content were, you know, they're special operations veterans. Some of them are still active duty uh, special operations guys. Um, or they're just shooters, um, civilian or former military that, that I enjoyed uh, looking at content from. So naturally, when I decided I was going to do this, some of the first people that I followed were those people who I had uh, looked up to to that point. Mm -hmm. And so, of course, those are the relationships that the relationships that I started trying to cultivate as uh, some of them kind of helped me uh, either by giving me advice or, you know, periodically sharing a post, whatever it was, and it started gaining traction. Of course, it was with the type of people that followed them. Um, and, you know, people that followed the same accounts that I did. So it it ended up in the space that it's in because of that. Mm -hmm. uh, but I don't want to like pigeonhole it and keep it inside that space. So that's certainly like I, I mentioned, like an area where I can improve, uh, you know, the direction or broaden the direction that I'm taking the content in. What's interesting is that on Instagram, if you look at it, you see like a fair amount of, of shooting related stuff. Yeah. If you, if you listen to the podcast, you hear very little totally shooting related stuff. Totally different. Uh, I think the pod, yeah, it's just, it's, it's turned out to be very different. I would like the page to mirror the pod more. If that, if that makes sense, I think the audience of the podcast is still comprised of, <laughs> followers of the page. I don't know sure. that there's too many people who listen to the podcast that have found it organically, uh, if you will. Um, but if there were many uh, people who listen to the podcast, like I wouldn't want them to listen to it and then come to the page and be surprised when they see a lot of shooting stuff mm -hmm. or be surprised by what they see generally. Like it, it, it should, I don't like the word should, because it's non-committal and right. it's just it's aspirational. Like why why should something be when it can be? Anyways, um, I don't want them to be surprised when they come to the page. It it should be designed so that it aligns with the experience that they're getting when they listen to the podcast. Mm -hmm. um, but two six three itself, a lot of people ask, like, what is two six three? <laughs> and I think we we had this we had this chat briefly on the live. Um, two six three, like for me, like I, I've already stated that I endeavor to live uh, in service of other people. Right? Two six three is purpose. Right? In this, my purpose is others. It is community. It is uh, perseverance. It is accountability. Um, but one of the first hashtags that I started using um, was what's it to you? So 
I know what 263 is for me. What I don't know is what 263 is for you mm-hmm. or for anyone else that's listening to this. Um, and, and I think that it's sufficient to say that 263 is purpose. So I want people to find their own purpose in it. Um, typically what I'll do is, you know, if someone asks me, Hey, what is, why, why those numbers? I have a reason and I will share it. But I, what I also will do is ask them, what's it to you? So once someone has put the thought in to give me, you know, an answer or, you know, share their understanding, the meaning that they have internalized of it at that point, I'll share mine with them because Mm -hmm. then you know, I know that I'm not going to change Mm -hmm. the purpose that they find in it. Mm. Right. It's it's imperative to me that people are allowed to, to find it on their own because then mine is just my, my take is supplementary. It's not about me. And Mm -hmm. that, that's why there's, that's why there's no faces on anything. That's why my name is not out there. That's why I'm intentionally vague about certain details about where I am or, or what I do or my life because I do not want to pollute or dilute the the message. Mm-hmm. Like this is about other people. And I think I can't say that this is about other people and make it about me. Mm-hmm. I'd be I'd be a hypocrite if I made this about me. So I've been very deliberate about who I show me to, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Once I get the sense that someone understands, right, I am not going to affect their their perception. They have internalized the message, then maybe then maybe we will, I'll exchange names mm-hmm. or I'll give them my name or maybe I won't give them my name, but maybe I'll jump on uh, like a FaceTime call mm-hmm. or an Instagram video chat with them, right? Maybe we'll exchange numbers and we'll start talking outside of Instagram. Um, but it's, I just, I do not want to detract from from what it is uh, supposed to be. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'll tell you what it is to me. I'm excited. Okay. Well, so, you know, for, for me, for engaging with you and with the page and seeing the content and, and listening to the podcast, you know, 263 to me means community. It means a community of shared values. It means, a, it means friendship and uh, it means the outdoors. And it means the the promotion of a, a spirit. You know, I look at your logo, which is you got a torch and you've got a couple looks like knives, cross knives. And we, I, yeah, I call it torch and daggers. Torch and um, daggers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I, I see that like that's you know community and spirit right there. That's what it means to me. I will share with you offline once we once we cut the recording. <laughs> I will okay. I will give you mine. What if you what if you whisper, um, what, if, what if you whisper it to me and, and I won't tell anybody. But you will tell them. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I don't think they can hear us. 
Mm. Mm. I'll consider it. I'll consider it. Why? Well, no, I and I know I like. Well, the, that's the thing is, for this whole conversation, you've shown yourself to be a man of principles, and you know, and so you know, that wasn't my intention to shit test you in that way. It was just sort of having fun. But there is, there is something. There is something to like. No, this is this is what you said. You know, you don't want to. You want people to be able to find their own meaning in it for the purpose of. Um, for whatever purpose, I would say for building community, but you want people to find their own meaning in it because it says something about them perhaps as well. And I respect that. And so if, if you, if you to create that, to facilitate that space for people that, you know, you don't, you don't want to share your meaning, lest they take on your meaning versus cultivating their own, by all means, like full support, you know, cause you've, you've shown that you're a man of principles in so many different ways. And this is just a, this is just another one. Uh, thank you. Um, I will, like I said, I will share with you because yeah, yeah, right, yeah. one of those one of those principles I talked about, right, is if I say that I'm going to do something, I will. And when we did that first live, I think I asked you, you know, I said, you tell me what it means to you and I'll tell you what it means to me. Mm-hmm. So I will absolutely honor my word. But like you said, I want to I want to give everyone, especially because I think that a lot of people or some people at least will be exposed to 263 for the first time mm-hmm. as they hear this. I hope so. I hope so. Uh, I hope so as well. Um, and so I really want them to have an opportunity to form their own opinion. But I, I will share with you. I think that my my favorite response that I've gotten so far is from uh, Brandon uh, Schboss. This mm-hmm. is handle. Um, but Brandon is one of the first people that I really started interacting with heavily on the page. Um, first person that I ever actually linked up with in person. Um, I was out in uh, Texas for several weeks in September. Uh, I was, I was passing through Dallas and we, we linked up uh, and went and got tacos and it was pissing rain. Uh, I'd never met this dude before. And we sat under this like little umbrella at this outdoor uh, taco restaurant and talked for four hours. and like, that was really cool. Um, but, but, you know, I was out there in January and we were having this, you know, the same conversation. And he said to me, two, six, three means my homies too. <laughs> so he, he, he took the numbers, right. And correlated that with letters. Um, but it's that it's funny. However, however you explain it, it all ultimately comes back to that, that community thing. Right. Um, you know, his was, my homies too. Like I want my people to succeed. If I'm coming up, I want them to come up with me. Um, but just specifically the way that he even had it, you know, tied down to the letter counts, uh, I thought was, was really cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I could tell he had like put a lot of, of thought into it. I think when I probably posed the question to him the first time, knowing the kind of guy that he is, it probably really frustrated him. Mm-hmm. Uh, that he he hadn't given it a lot of thought or any thought because he didn't know he was supposed to, um, <laughs> and so you know like hearing how you know, the conclusion that he came to only cemented my uh, like my desire to be um, you know to hold that close mm-hmm. until until the time is appropriate. Um, because, you know, when I told him what it meant to me, he said, that's not at all what, have I, what I would have expected. Mm. Um, and it's not what most people would expect. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if it effectively 
is is getting people to internalize the message, then the last thing I want to do is is pull them away from that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, interestingly enough, you actually already know what it means, but you don't know that you know. Uh, it's a riddle. It's a riddle wrapped in an enigma with a plot twist at the end. <laughs> when I when I when I tell you, uh, you will you'll say, "Oh, that makes sense." Okay, well that's cool, and that's that's always the answers that you want to a mystery, right? Where it's like, "Oh, yeah, okay, I get it." I mean, that's that's real. That's actually cool, and I think that's that's something that's worth that's worth promoting. Like, you give people the chance to solve the puzzle on their own in a way that satisfies to them, and you know, there's no, I suppose, one right answer to it, but you know, it feels like it feels like in it you've you've crafted something that's i guess mentally engaging in a way that you want people to invest themselves in which is awesome and that and if it, the reward pays off then you've done a good job i didn't do it on purpose if i'm being perfectly honest sure um it's it's one of it's it's in bubbles uh it's one of those things that ended up in there um so yeah if you guys listen to it then that doesn't really tell you anything because there's a whole lot of significant events in there. Uh, so down, good luck. You have to pick up the breadcrumbs <laughs> and you have to study for years to understand the mystery. What is two, six, three. Yeah. And is encoded in there somehow. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, where do you see the two, six, three collective going? Like, what is it that you want to, to do with it? What's your vision for it? Including, I mean, this includes the, the community itself and the podcast and the Instagram. Like what, what is the, what is the contribution you're hoping to make with it? So I think when I, when I started, um, you know, my, my thought was that if I positively affect one person's day, one single time, then I've succeeded. Mm. Right. Um, and so the beautiful thing about that is that my, my opinion on that has not changed. Mm -hmm. Uh, as long as I can continue to positively affect people in some capacity, it's doing what I want it to do. Now, of course, I would like to positively affect many people, mm-hmm. as many people as possible. And to do that, it has to grow. Uh, I think that the podcast really would be the most effective way to do that because Instagram, in addition to like censorship concerns, um, also does not allow you, unless we're talking about lives, to really partake in any long form, like meaningful discussion, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Instagram is kind of like, like like the news or like a presidential debate where you just get like sound bites and snippets or little little bits of text, even longer posts most of the time, right? Like it doesn't really give you the chance to elaborate on a on a complete idea. So, you know, as much as I try to put out the valuable nuggets that I might be uh, thinking about on a given day, um, you can't you can't talk at length about why you feel that way or how you've internalized that or the journey that led you to, to be where you are. And that is the stuff that actually gets people at their core. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's easy to look at a post and be like, you know, if, if the post says, you know, like even just something simple, like do the work, it's easy to look at a post and be like, Hmm, I should do work. And then you might actually go do work that day, but you're not going to internalize do the work just from reading it, right? Mm -hmm. If I tell you, you know, stories or examples where I did put in the work or I helped somebody else put in the work and then, you know, the hardships that they endured and the subsequent success that they experienced, 
maybe you can relate to that. Maybe mm-hmm. you can internalize something. And now maybe we are, uh, we are teaching the man to fish mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> rather than giving the man a fish. Right. That's right. Um, I think that's a good way to put it actually with, mm-hmm. with the pod, we can, we can teach someone how, uh, mm-hmm. instead of just giving it to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't want to detract from, you know, the value of the page because I think I know that there's still a lot of positive interaction that goes on there. Um, I interact with a lot of people all of the time. Uh, some of them very regularly, some sporadically, some pretty infrequently. Uh, and then there's new people coming around all the time. So I know that people still see the content and relate to it or appreciate it or whatever it is. Uh, but I don't think that that is, that's it in the long run. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say right now, shamelessly, that as long as I have my job, 263 is not my first or second priority. It mm-hmm. is number three. Mm-hmm. My now wife. Ooh, ooh, Congratulations. Uh, thank you. Um, and family are number one. Mm-hmm. Work and specifically the kiddos mm-hmm. are number two. Your, uh, your college kiddos, because hopefully someday you'll have your own kiddos. Right. Smaller right. kiddos. And they'll, and they'll be up there at the top, top, tippy top yeah, of the course, list. Of course. I, I, I know that one. Um, but honestly, sometimes it feels like the kiddos are competing <laughs> for, for number one. Uh, I have to, I really find myself wanting to pour all of my available time energy into them. Uh, and so that's the thing that like I have to be conscious and deliberate about is, is making sure that I am prioritizing things the right way. Cause you know, mm-hmm. I'm still sure I'm older than them, but I'm still young and I'm still learning. Like sure, yeah. I have to be, I have to be careful uh, about not only prioritizing the people that are, uh, you know, immediately close to me and really important to me, but also, uh, myself, you know, mm-hmm. I, I went when this, when the page started, like things ramped up a lot. And then when the podcast started in October, things got really crazy. And I didn't take, as best I can remember, I didn't take a weekend off from October to until Valentine's Day. Mm-hmm. So work is, work is pretty much five days a week. Um, Granted, it's not that strenuous, but I'm still like doing something, right? And then at night, I'm doing a live or uh, I'm going to jujitsu if I'm not being a, a shitbird and, and deciding I'd rather stay at the house, which mm-hmm. I'll admit happens a little bit more than I would like it to. Mm-hmm. I'm, wor- I'm working on it. Um, but I did a really bad job of making sure that I gave myself just a little bit of time. So literally every weekend I either had national guard drill or I was out of town podcasting somebody. Mm. Um, and when the start of February, February rolled around, like I got sick. Mm -hmm. I didn't, you know, it wasn't like a flu or a COVID or anything, but like I was just sick and I knew that my body was like, like, Hey man, like you need to, you need to chill out, like not a lot, but just like just a little bit because you haven't done that. So, so Valentine's weekend, uh, we just kind of agreed we would like 
hang out at the house, you know, indulge in some good food and not really do much of anything um, and just chill out. And I needed that a lot. Uh, I was really tempted at the start of February to like take a couple days off of work um, and try and just recover. But that didn't feel right. Mm -hmm. uh, I knew, you know, like, okay, I've been, I've been going since October. Surely I can go for two more weeks. Uh, if I wait till the weekend, you know, Valentine's Day weekend, I know that I'm not missing anything at work. I'm not missing out on opportunities uh, for, for the kiddos, like, like none of that. So I, I stuck it out a little bit. And then once that weekend rolled around, <laughs> mm -hmm. I finally took that break. And man, I absolutely needed it. I, I'd never really run myself like into the ground mm -hmm. before. Um, so I'm glad I did it because now I know like I can tell a little bit better if I need to back off now. Um, and also, I think it was a good reminder that I hadn't done a great job of paying attention to my my other relationships. Right. Um, so it kind of forced me to reevaluate my my balance. Um, and that that's that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it, it sucked. It sucked. And I was really uncomfortable for a couple of weeks while I was sick. Um, but I'm glad that happened because I don't think I would have slowed down otherwise. Mm -hmm. Well, you needed the, you needed the space to recalibrate, you know, to be suddenly everything starts happening all at once. And you're kind of, you know, our, our, we, we do as much as we can until we break down and then, uh, and then we have to put ourselves back together in order to, to see what's really important to us. Right. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I'm actually reaching the end of my, uh, the end of my time. So we're reaching the end of the podcast, but, um, one of the things, um, I did want to ask is how, uh, how you put together in yourself, your, your pursuit of two, six, three, and how it, it gels with your work with the ROTC and, and how you sort of weave it all together. Like, are there two separate worlds that you kind of maintain or do they, do they influence each other? Um, so I deliberately separate them. The phrase, you get what you earn, is something that I say at work all the time. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes it's in good situations. Sometimes it's like we recently had a kid forget to take his final or his midterm, rather. He just blanked on it. You know, he had some sob story and, and Bossman and I both kind of were like, you know, we understand what happened, but that doesn't change the fact that like it was your negligence that resulted in you missing this. So you, you got what you earned, which in this case was a zero. Mm -hmm. um, I do not intermingle work in 263 at all mm -hmm. because, again, uh, there's certainly a professional distance that has to be maintained and a line that has to be towed in order for me to effectively do my job with them. Sure. Um, so it's a challenge in that regard because a 263 is... is very important to me. And I feel like a lot of what I do with it would be very beneficial to them. But I know that because it's me presenting it, I can't, mm -hmm. I just can't. So I try to adapt as much of this stuff to work as I can without deliberately saying like, Hey, here's, you know, go listen to this podcast. And they listen to it and be like, Oh, this is, this, this is you. Right. I can't do that. Um, but the values that they they certainly roll over and I apply the same mindset that I would to any member of the, the two, six, three community to the kiddos and vice versa. Mm -hmm. Um, 
everyone deserves energy. Everyone deserves support. Um, maybe I'm not the best equipped to handle certain situations or to advise on certain things, but if nothing else, I'll be a shoulder to lean on mm -hmm. for anyone. Um, and I think that's, it, it's hard, but I really would just, <laughs> I would really love to put them on to, to what I do. Mm-hmm. But I just, I know that I can't. So like I said, right. I just try to integrate it as much as I can um, without deliberately steering them towards it. And for the people who are going to check out 263 for the first time, where should they start? Like what of your content are you, besides Bubbles, which obviously will be linked in the show notes, but what are you most proud of that you've created? Which Instagram posts or which podcasts or what sort of stuff oh, as, you've been, as, you, as you've been on this whole journey? Yeah, I'm going to put you on the spot. If, uh, if you, as you've been on this whole journey, like as you look back and say, you know, since you, since you started it, you know, what are you really proud of that you've created so far that sort of shows the direction you'll be heading in the future? Okay. Um, so the pods, I would say, yeah, bubbles obviously is, I actually would not necessarily rate it as high uh, on my list of priorities for people as you might think. Mm -hmm. uh, sure. I, I specifically, I steered it, I steered you towards it or, you know, asked you to listen to it because it would certainly inform our discussion here. But again, that's about me. Mm -hmm. And this is about capturing other people's experiences and lessons learned in a way that, you know, things they've experienced that I have not experienced that I can't provide guidance on, right? But the way that I can act as a resource for someone who I can't relate to is, is to find someone that they can relate to. Right. So I'm much more proud of episodes where I've gone and talked to someone who has a story that is remarkable. Like Angel Cortez is probably one of my favorite podcast episodes that I've done. He, um, you know, grew up outside of LA, was literally a gang member, mm -hmm. uh, and then eventually ended up uh, an army ranger. And now he does incredible things for the veteran community uh, out in Orange County, California. Um, Angel's story is like a prime example of, you know, like, uh, like shedding the shackles or, or the bounds, uh, of, you know, like whatever, whatever restrictions you think are on you, mm -hmm. Angel's proof that, that you can, you can, uh, get past those that you can do it. You can get out whatever it is. So I, a lot of people relate to Angel's, uh, story. So I'm really proud of, of that. Also just of the circumstances. We did that episode in his living room at five in the morning, the day of the, uh, the Mike Tyson fight. So I flew oh, out wow. there the weekend after Thanksgiving. Uh, it was just a really cool experience overall. So I, I really love that episode. Um, content like Instagram content. I don't know that like there's a video of when in January we went out to, or I went out to Dallas to, um, help Brandon run his first, uh, class. Mm -hmm. uh, Brandon has not been shooting for very long in the grand scheme of things, but he's really good. Like really, really good. He's a mm -hmm. prime example of what happens when you take someone with, uh, a propensity for learning things. Mm -hmm. uh, and then they put in and work. Um, like, like he, he progressed really quickly, uh, to a level of, uh, competence that not a lot of people have. So 
one of Brandon's things was that he wanted to start instructing, but he kept telling himself and us like, no, I, you know, I don't have any military law enforcement credentials. Like I don't, I don't rate this. I shouldn't do it. Well, I disagreed enough to the point that, you know, I reached out to arrange out there, um, of course with his permission, but I kind of just like forced his hand. Um, so we, we facilitated Brandon putting on his first class. Mm -hmm. We had 10 people come out to, you know, to learn, uh, shooters of, you know, varying experience, uh, levels and everyone walked away with something. Mm -hmm. Um, and again, for me, you know, that's, that's someone that I care about, uh, getting to, to do something that they didn't think they were worthy of doing, Mm -hmm. let alone that they, they could actually do. Right. So that was really cool to me. Um, there's a couple like, uh, the pods, you know, other pods, I would say that there's like a Texas round table. There's the rectangular table. Those are both less serious, like less structured Mm -hmm. discussions. Uh, but they're some of the most fun ones. A lot of people have responded and said the Texas one was like the best episode that they've listened to, even though it was the, it it had the least substance (laughs) Mm -hmm. of, of any episode. Um, it was a nice, it's, it was a nice break from the normal pods that we would do because, um, it just wasn't as serious, Mm -hmm. you know, like it kind of showed a different side. Um, but what I've, what I've really found to be awesome, uh, to wrap that, this, this thought up is that everybody that I talked to has a different favorite episode Mm -hmm. because everyone interprets the same facts differently. Um, and you know, everyone having a different favorite means that I'm doing a good job of catering to all these different people. I am mm. finding individuals and and eliciting uh, the right information from them, so that everyone, um, you know, is finding something that they can relate to. Mm-hmm. And if if taking care of everybody is the goal, then that is exactly what I should be doing. That's exactly what I should keep doing. Mm-hmm. So. I think you should, not that I'm biased, I think if you're <laughs> listening to this, you should just go listen to all of them oh, and look sure. at all the content and then you can decide which one is your favorite on your own. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a great strategy. Well, Shameless plug. Hey, the plug away, man. Well, that's actually, you reminded me of something that I actually did want to ask you about is you have a policy of not hosting anyone on your podcast that you can't actually sit down with in person, like as, a, as a host, like you'll do a, you'll do a remote like we're doing right now, but you know, when you, when you, when you record someone for a podcast, you sit down with them face to face. Correct. Uh, if, if I am to claim that this is about community, then it would be, uh, disingenuous of me not to actually go take step towards, take steps towards building that community. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, in my opinion, I want, I think I'm going to get the best out of somebody if I go to them in their element and I'm going to, you know, build our relationship more if I, if I come, uh, come and find them in their element, not Mm. to mention that it certainly tells a person that I, I am invested in what I'm doing and I'm invested in them. If I'm willing to take the time, that's why Angel Cortez, who again has plenty of reasons to be like, paranoid or concerned because he's high vis and uh you know like i said he's a former gang member and he's been 
in combat a bunch of times. Like, why would he let some random faceless dude on the internet whose name he does not know come into his home at five mm-hmm. in the morning on a Saturday? Mm-hmm. Why? Because for him, it was enough when I told him that I was going to fly out the weekend after Thanksgiving. He mm-hmm. knows that's one of the most expensive weekends of the year to fly on. I didn't care. He knew I was going to do whatever I needed to do. If that was when he had the time, he told me that's when I have the time. I said, okay, I'll be there. Wow. And for him, for him, that was enough. Mm-hmm. You know, that showed him that I was invested in, in him, but also in what I was doing. Um, and I think it's really important that, that people do understand that. Like, I'm not in this for me. I'm in this for other people. I want to give others a platform to share their stories. Uh, and I want those stories to reach the people that they need to reach. The, you want to create a platform for people who you, know, you have a lot of respect for. We have a lot of admiration for it and, and, you know, people who have something to say to reach out and connect with the people who might not otherwise hear, hear from them. Right. And it's, it's interesting because, you know, right now, like when I talk about Angel Cortez, he's the most high vis guest that I've had on by a long shot. He's been on some other pods that, you know, have hundreds of thousands of plays. Like his episodes on those shows have hundreds of thousands of plays. Oh, wow. Uh, his episode is the most played episode of, uh, 263 podcast and it has a little bit over 500 plays mm-hmm. so still very low visibility uh, compared to the other ones but it's also interesting because some people will say that Angel's episode was their favorite and then some will say that their favorite was the episode that I did with uh, Sydney who is one of my lifelong uh, friends from like 7th grade on and she's just like She's just my friend. Like, mm-hmm. like, sure, I go talk to people that are, you know, famous on Instagram, but I'm also talking to like my friend that I grew up with about how, you know, she's overcome her anxiety and now she uh, is, uh, she's got like a budding YouTube channel. Like, like she has her own stuff to say that is every bit as valuable mm-hmm. as what someone like Angel has to say. It, the question is just who needs to hear it. Uh, and so, I truly do believe that everybody has something valuable to contribute. Um, So really trying to talk to a lot of different people from a lot of different backgrounds and give everyone the opportunity to, to take that stuff in. Mm -hmm. Can you say how, because you said it's on a firearms page and I didn't mean to communicate that it is a firearms page, but can you say how firearms fits into the overall picture of, of two, six, three? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I, I like shooting. I've liked shooting for a while. Um, and because of the, like, you know, the nature of, again, who I started out following a lot of special operations veterans, those people shoot a lot. Uh, and then just shooters. Um, a lot of the community that we have built are also shooters. Mm-hmm. So What's even made that, you know, more so is the relationship that we've built with Brandon. Um, that's like Brandon's thing. Like Brandon goes to work and and like dry fires mm-hmm. <laughs> and then goes to the range on the weekends. Like that's what he does. And so the relationship that I've uh, cultivated with him has kind of helped spur that along. And uh, the following in Texas is particularly strong. That's also where Brandon is. So 
for me, logically, if I want to get people together in Texas where I'm going to go see my friend Brandon, who loves to shoot, the other people that are going to show up are probably going to be shooters as well. Mm-hmm. Um, shooting is just a thing to do. It you know it fits naturally in the in the space that the page exists in, um, and it's cool. You know, I think it's like a lot of things in that it's kind of easy to get started in, and then you realize that there's levels to it. So, um, it is like anything else in that it presents you with an opportunity to push yourself. You can make a deliberate decision to get better. Um, and you can really see the results. You can't fake it either. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, of course you can, you know, make videos where you, you don't show any of your, of your hits and you know, if it looks like you're doing a good job controlling recoil, you know, whatever, whatever, but anyone like anything else, anyone who knows what they're actually doing can look at you and call bullshit immediately. Mm -hmm. Right. So there's, there's a lot of accountability around it as well. Uh, and so I certainly respect it for that in a community that I'm trying to cultivate this sense of accountability. And that's a thing where it's really easy for people to hold each other accountable because the, the proof is in your hits and it's in the mm-hmm. way that you handle a weapon uh, and the way that you control it. And just it, it's evident. So in addition to providing opportunities to, to work and grow and demonstrate commitment and work ethic, um, it's accountable mm-hmm. and it's kind of like important for, you know, self-defense. Uh, it's like a relevant skill. Of course, you hope to God that you never have to use a firearm in self-defense. Um, but that's kind of a thing that I would, I would rather be comfortable with yeah. than, than not, you know? So again, in, in a, in a community that values accountability, um, you know, kind of responsibly carrying and training with the firearm embodies that, uh, acceptance of your responsibility for your outcomes, right? You are, you are voting or you have a vote in your situation. If you make a choice to, to try and, uh, you know, do something about it. Right. And so mm-hmm. if your the way that you try to do something about it is to carry gun and train with it and be proficient with it and safe, um, then that, that gives you a vote. Should you ever come into the you know position of, of needing it? Mm-hmm. So the accountability of it and the transparency of it, those are, those are big things that go past the fact that there's a lot of just good people in the gun community that I've been fortunate enough to link up with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I just started sh- shooting recently because I lived in California for a long time and then I lived overseas. So it's just when I moved back to the United States um, around this time last year that even the possibility of owning a firearm became possible. And I had shot a little bit when I was a kid, you know, we had a, we had a revolver in the house and I was aware of that. And, you know, I think I'd shot it when I was young, but that was about it. Not a lot of, uh, I wasn't really part of the gun community in San Francisco. That's for sure. To the extent that there is one. Um, but I discovered that it's actually, uh, a lot harder than I expected. You know, it's like, it, it, you know, oh, yeah. well, we, we grew up watching, you know, movies where everyone's shooting guns all the time. So I think, you know, it's, yeah, exactly. Dual wielding. So, you know, you get a sense that it, it's easy, but you know, of course they're firing blanks. And of course, you know, it's, it's all the sound effects and everything like that. It's not at all like when you actually get it onto the range, just how draining it is to try and, you know, 
shoot if, as a starter, as a beginner, like 50 rounds, 100 rounds, like it's quite tiring after a while. Yeah, there's like an explosion happening inside your hand. There, that like is every true. time you That's pull true. the trigger. Um, yeah, there's a lot. And it's it's one of those things where the minutia really matter. Sometimes you can you can fudge the small details, but if you're shooting, you say you're shooting a pistol and your grip is not dialed or your pressure isn't right, you're going to see deviation you're not going to get the results that you want like it absolutely demands precision if you want to be good at it Mm -hmm. like anything else yes for sure it's just so much harder to get good at it now because now it's expensive to get good at which is yeah right big big eye roll for sure it's like oh yeah i'd love to (laughs) you know like i started uh, you know people recommended uh, garen thumb to me and so he was posting like oh here's this gun uh, this firearm i've run 20,000 rounds through this one. It's like, oh, okay, that's just, you know, $10,000 now roughly, you know, to do that if you wanted to get good, you know, in this era. Right. Even, even you know, this time last year, um, you know, normal, like a class that you would go to or say it's a two-day class, it's like a day of rifle and a day of pistol. Mm-hmm. It'd be a thousand rounds of each mm-hmm. yeah. in a weekend or in a day, uh, a thousand rounds of pistol and then a thousand rounds of rifle the next day. And that was a couple hundred dollars. Yeah. About a year ago, right as as lockdowns were were starting, and then of course everything skyrocketed uh, and has has just stayed elevated since then. Yeah, I'm starting to feel like it might be somewhat coordinated because this is a bit this is a bit silly. There's there's so there's actually insiders in the in the firearms industry who have identified that there's uh, supposedly at least that there's not a production issue. It's just deliberately excuse me, deliberately limiting uh, the supply because they realized they could keep the prices this high. That's um, terrible. But I don't know if that's true or not. Right. I mean, but I mean, it's, you know, along with everything else, like it's been a year, sort it out, come on. But, you know, <laughs> like the, the, when something doesn't, isn't able to get sorted out in the course of a year, if I'm being super generous. It's because it, it, it's benefiting, you know, certain people who enjoy things not being sorted out that they start to you know make sure that even if you give the benefit of the doubt that you know okay maybe the phenomenon was organic to begin with okay fine but after a year after a year there are people that are that have constructed things in such a way as to make money off of the scenario and they're actually going to push back on it actually getting sorted out you know and you can apply that that's just that's just human nature that there are people who are greedy that there are people who are you know who lie that there are people who manipulate and that take advantage of situations and that they'll push back when you try and, and, uh, and, and fix the situation to the benefit of the masses that it'll benefit the few. Like, I don't know that that's a controversial thing to say, but I'm, uh, perhaps there's someone out there in the internet like, oh, how could you say that? Like, well, that's just how the world works. And we all just used to know that. I thought. Used to. Used to. Used to. Well, this has been really fantastic and I've really enjoyed getting to meet you and getting to know you, even though it's not about you, I've enjoyed getting to meet you and getting to know you and and hear your story and hearing all the streams that feed into 263 and just sort of seeing, you know, how I'm picking up on, on everything that's in there and, and I guess also what I'm missing. I, I definitely don't know that I expected it to go as well as it has. Um, and like I said, uh, you know, up front, um, I didn't not, not. Not on the you end, on the me end. 
Um, <laughs> Just like, the, yeah, I understand what you mean. Uh, you know, like I said up front, I haven't really like talked about myself at length very much or even thought about myself at length that mm, much because yeah. usually, again, I'm focusing on other people and I'm content to do that. So this is fun um, to kind of unpack some things I didn't, I, I wouldn't necessarily think about otherwise, but also I'm, you know, I'm very grateful for the opportunity to, to come on here and for you to share your platform mm. um, with me. Uh, it's, it's another fantastic opportunity to, to let people know what this is about uh, and, and to let them know that we want them to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. I don't care. I don't care if you shoot guns or not. I don't care what you do. I don't care if right now, as you listen to this, you've stumbled upon it and you are a terrible person and you think that you're beyond reproach. I don't come on. Like, let's get better together. Cause this is really about the community. It's community over everything. So like, let's be here for each other. Let's do it. That's completely awesome. You just brought us totally full circle. That's amazing. Well, so where can people go to find out more about you and, and to, or find out more about 263, if not you? <laughs> yeah. So uh, it's at the 263 Collective uh, numbers, 263 on Instagram. Uh, you can find the 263 Collective podcasts on all major platforms. Uh, so mainly Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Uh, and then we do have a website as well. Uh, we sell, you know, small amount of merch on there, patches, stickers, periodically some shirts. Uh, we've got a new shirt and hat uh, coming, which is pretty exciting. I've uh, been wanting to do hats for a long time, but that's another conversation. I know we're running short. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, do that stuff just to as an additional way to to push the message out. But I would say the Instagram is going to be uh, the best way to kind of see what it's about and then get in touch with us. We are extremely responsive to DMs, uh, usually within a couple minutes, uh, unless I'm in class, and then it's within an hour usually. Mm-hmm. Um, so we are here. We're accessible. Uh, it says in the Instagram bio the DMs are always open, and we absolutely mean it. Um, and we really want all of you to come, come join us. Mm-hmm. Well, well, I'm I'm curious about the hats now. If you just want to toss that in, because now you've kind of you've hooked me. Uh, so fortunately they're not a secret anymore. Um, we've been working with bald bros. Uh, so they do custom leather. They're active duty special forces guys. They're really cool. So they made, um, the original two, six, three patch that I just got made for, for me and the others. And then they made our, you get what you earn, uh, triangular patch, which I still have some stock left of. Um, but they recently ventured into hats. So we've now got a custom leather patch. It's a circle with the torch and daggers on it. Now we've got a dad hat in black, and then we've also got um, black and M81. So, you know, like woodland camo. Mm-hmm. Uh, snap Snapbacks are going to be available. We're just waiting on this new run of patches that we ordered to come in. Uh, and then we're going to hopefully open those hats up to pre-order right at the uh, end of March. Uh, Ball Bros, because they are small, um, and they're really efficient. They're able to turn that stuff around very quickly. So we're not looking at some, you know, ridiculous industry standard three to four week turnaround. Um, they've already got patches pre-cut. So we're looking at more like one to two weeks from the time that you order it to the time that it shows up at your door. And fortunately, there's now about six pictures. Uh, the recent, you know, the six most recent posts on the Instagram page are, are pretty much all of the hats. So mm-hmm. you can check them out, see what you like, what you don't. Uh, 
and then get ready for the 31st. I got to tell you, I'm really excited about it. Well, okay. So what's happening on the 31st? That's when they should be available. Oh, that's when they'll be available. That's awesome. Should. Should. Well, hey, you know, <laughs> because of, because of, uh, because of COVID, everything can be whatever it needs to be now. See, I still don't buy that. But <laughs> yeah, no, I know. That is neither here nor there, no, my friend. Not, that is neither here nor there. <laughs> well, thank you so much. And is there anything else you'd like to say to all the listeners today about, uh, about you, about 263? I'm just going to say the same thing that I, I would close all of our episodes with, which is that you get what you earn. Right on. Thank you, Rain Man. Thanks, Will. episode of the Renaissance of Men podcast. Visit us on the web at renofmen.com or on your favorite social media platform at Ren of Men. This is the Renaissance of Men. You are the Renaissance.